everybody, welcome to We've Got Ward, a doof media podcast series where we expertly dissect and discuss Ward while those return to the world of parahumans. My name is Matt Freeman and I am absolutely handling this. And my name's Scott Daly and I believe you. Wink. Did you just say wink? This is the weekly podcast where Matt and I eagerly dive into Wildbo's world of incredibly stupid sister epically burned lab rats and alien based death powers as we analyze and interpret this ongoing web serial this week we continue our journey through arc 14 breaking with chapters 14.6 and 14.7 locked in a room with the sister she hates victoria finally works up the courage to confront amy who it turns out accidentally fucked up the brain of a girl that both looks like and has history with victoria it's fine though she has it handled then, the Shinnies take our heroes into custody, and Kenzie finally gives a piece of her mind. Not literally, of course. That's a clarification that we actually have to make in this story. Matt, <laughs> what did you think of these two chapters? I, I love this. The first one I found just incredibly intense and uncomfortable. It's one of those ones where, you know, your your, your heart is beating too faster the whole time you're reading it. And, and th- to the point where you're almost relieved when... They get sent to prison in the second chapter. <laughs> You're like, oh, thank God they're out of that room, you know? Yeah, yeah. The, um, the being sent to jail is a tension release for our characters. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, good. We might be getting to some, like, combat soon. And, and <laughs> then I can I can kind of relax. Uh, but, yeah, no, like, uh, not you know, these chapters continue to be these very, like, um, character dynamic, heavy dialogue, heavy uh, Victoria's kind of inner struggle um, focused uh, chapters and, and uh, some of the stuff that I like the best of the story actually. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm with you there. I think there's another, another couple great chapters to a really great arc that again has had no real action. Right. Yeah, um, yeah. and I think, I think there's, there's confidence there that maybe the first book didn't have the confidence that you can just say, okay, I'm just going to do two arcs where people don't really fight physically and yeah, just trust that people like my characters enough and that I can make it engaging enough that it doesn't matter that you don't need, you don't need that superhero punching. Um, we're going to do verbal punching. And, and I think that's exactly what all these chapters have done. And that's what these two continue. And there's a lot to talk about here. There's a lot to talk about with Amy and Victoria and the complex nature of their relationship. I, I still can't believe we're over a million words into the story and we are still discovering new fascinating things about the complexity of Victoria's relationships to these people. It's incredible. So, yeah, yeah, that's, that's well said because I think it's interesting that chapter after chapter, week after week, while the keeps driving the story in this direction where every subsequent week, I'm, I'm even more impressed than the last where I'm just like, Oh wow, this was, this is a really deep and uncomfortable place we're taking this to. And then the next week it just goes further, you know? <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And, and I like, I like the construction of some of these, these beats where you're, conf- you're, you're genuinely conflicted about things where you, you're, you're like, I am, am the least comfortable of my opinions 
in these two chapters than I have been in the story in a long time. And it's just because I think that this, I don't, I don't think the story wants us to have a clear, firm opinion on some of these things. And we're still kind of like, eh, I don't know. I mean, yeah, good point, but I don't know. <laughs> like, yeah. and I think, I think that like, that's, that's what I felt throughout this entire first chapter. So let's just yeah. stop talking about talking about it and let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. <laughs> chapter 14.6 and the text begins the chapter with breaking from their ranks to some degree, uh, referring to the soldiers, which just more Weble having fun with language, which he, he actually does a lot in, in these chapters. And I think he's, I think he's done it a lot in the story overall, but sure. I think we've been paying more attention to it lately. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it, it is fun. It is fun with language, and and you can tell the author's having a good time doing these things. And then I, wh- the thing I like about it is taking this to a more serious level, though. I think these kind of one-off references like force you, the reader, to consider the arc title a little bit more. Um, of course, you and I always do that because we're obsessive. But like, I just think like the casual reader, when you keep when this word breaking keeps coming up within chapters within the arc breaking it kind of maybe subconsciously makes you go oh there's that word again like so let's think about what that means i mean like earlier in this arc everyone was strained under the whole teacher thing and people were cracking and starting to break and now we've kind of zoomed in a little and, and victoria's breaking under the strain of the situation amy could be breaking as well or is she broken already hunter the question is the person she did this to hunter is she broken um these are the questions the book is asking and and we're reminding people of that central arc title through fun with language in in the chapter itself yeah our 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 hero is going to have to break out of prison um is victoria breaking bad all kinds (laughs) of questions yep yep um and yeah i just i love that wildwood takes these words that Obviously, you know somewhere in your brain that they have multiple meanings, but he just makes sure to emphasize every possible meaning that they could have. Yeah, and I think we only scratch the surface with all the implications of that word mm-hmm. in this situation. Yeah. So Victoria keeps track of this tense, fragile dynamic in the room behind her. She kind of still has the, the room to her back. Um, you basically, in this chapter, you've got this powder keg of personalities in a tight space and surrounded by guards who are being a little bit too handsy with their firearms. Yeah, I think you kind of drew attention to the powder kegginess of the situation for us perfectly last week when you just said, oh, just throw Mama Mathers in here and it would be the perfect thing. But I do like that the book takes time to like kind of cue us back into this tension mindset. One thing we haven't talked about a lot throughout this book so far is just this idea that because of its serialized nature, one of the things each chapter has to do is kind of do a a little mini game of last time on Avatar type Uh thing, right? Where they just like at at the very least, it's going to be three days between chapters for people right now as the book comes out, because that's just that's the way. So we have to do these little mini moments of, okay, let's catch people up, not just on what what's happening, but we need to reset the tone, right? We need to reset how we should feel emotionally about what's happening here. And I really think this, this opening couple of paragraphs as Victoria looks around the room and, and paints a picture for us of the situation again, that's what that's doing. Um, it, it is, it is resetting how we should feel right now. So we're, we're, we're just like, Oh yeah, I remember three, three days ago, I felt stressed out as hell. Um, <laughs> now 
uh, thanks for reminding me about that. And, yeah. and like, I, I love this, this moment here where it says so often there was a measured reaching out a safe topic broached. And then the conversation would continue until Chris said something or someone said something a little too biting. So this thing, this it, it's perfectly paints this picture of this, this, this awkward kind of silence where every once in a while someone starts talking about something and it's like, okay, that's safe. And then everyone starts talking and maybe, maybe the tensions just released a little bit until one person goes too far and then it's ratcheted up again and then everyone kind of silence i like that you drew out that line too because it emphasizes chris as being like uh he sticks out like a sore thumb in that sentence right right? it's like everything chris says is a problem (laughs) and then sometimes other people will say things that are also a problem yeah um and it kind of primes your attention to be focused on chris because he is throughout this chapter he i I don't want to call him out like a like a direct focus because well, Victoria is not directly focused on him so much, but he is a, he, like what's going on with Chris is more foregrounded in this chapter than it is in like the last chapter, I would say. Yeah. And I think that continues into the next chapter, into chapter seven. Um, Chris come, becomes foregrounded that I mean, as much as that chapter is about Victoria and Amy's continuing stuff, it is very much a, a, a chapter about Chris. True. I think he would be the main idea of that chapter as a whole. Yeah. And and also, I like what you said about Wabo having to kind of re reintroduce us into the world at the beginning of every chapter. And he has to walk this line where yes, he has to do that, but also he has to make it so that his book is readable in a binge fashion, which all of them really are. Like that's kind of what's interesting is that he is all, he, he is always doing this with his stories, but when you're binging through them, you don't really perceive the beginning of each chapter as being, um, last time on avatar. Yeah. Like it's it, it is serving that purpose, but it's not uh, it does it doesn't stick out like a sore thumb. I think it's just he's just continually crafting and and like doubling down on the atmosphere. It reminds me of someone at one point compared writing to a hypnotic induction, like where you're you're sort of bringing the person into this world that you're creating through crafting it with with very specific statements. And I feel like the beginning of every chapter is almost its own little hypnotic induction. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. It, it, it reminds me of reading Harry Potter in a, a reverse way, because one thing that I think those books do very clearly at the beginning of them is like the first chapter of a new Harry Potter novel says, this is Harry Potter. He like it, it reintroduces you to the entire world to the point where anyone who's read those books for a while is like, yeah, OK, I, I like I know I know who Ron is. You don't have to tell me who Ron is. And I, I think I think these stories do that in a, in a much like more hidden way and it's different i know it's different the audiences are different uh re- filling people in on tones and emotions chapter to chapter versus the release of one book years later from another is different but i do think like I, I do think it does not stick out at me as much in this story at all yeah yeah i i agree and in fact i mean when you point it out i agree that you're right but i i don't think i ever like saw it that way until you pointed it out so that's cool mm-hmm so Victoria then gives Marquis and Amy kind of a once over, noting that they look very similar to each other and that they're both wearing like red and black kind of fine clothing. Amy has a a, a heart-shaped red and gold brooch. Um the Red Queen is actually uh, heart-themed, like like that's why she's red. Um so Amy's not exactly downplaying that title. Is she though, Matt? See <laughs> So, okay, first of all, uh, there's this confusion between the Red Queen and the Queen of Hearts that exists 
everywhere, right? Okay. Those yeah. are two different characters. Um, are they? Yes. The, the the Queen of Hearts is a character from Alice in Wonderland. The Red Queen is a ca- character from Alice Through the Looking Glass. Uh, the Red Queen is chess-related. The Queen of Hearts is cards-related. Um, those are different characters. But pop culture has infuse them together thanks to disney disney actually in the alice in wonderland version of that cartoon disney takes uh the red red queen lines from through the looking glass and gives them to the queen of hearts which is just just makes this mess of references and stuff so confusing well (laughs) yeah i mean i can i can see uh even if even if you're amy and you know that i can see making that choice anyway right like i mean mean, the 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 choice here has to be like like the interesting thing about that to me is like is amy just following through with the misconception that everyone has that the red queen and the queen of hearts (laughs) are the same person or um is this maybe the book kind of subtly setting us up for uh, a, a kind of a miscue where where we see this heart-shaped brooch and we go oh look queen of hearts she's clearly dressed like the red queen yes she's like this is she's fully embraced this this role as a ruler and a queen and and evil and all this stuff but in reality it's it's different right like i mean and and i i don't i'm not sure i'm not sure what the book is saying with that i just think it's interesting to point that out yeah, I'm definitely open to that possibility. It's also true that Victoria specifically says that it's like vaguely heart-shaped. She doesn't say right. like it's not like a, an ostentatious costume element where it looks like a plain old heart. It's yeah. kind of heart-shaped, which maybe is even Victoria reading into it. Um, well, and, and again, I think it is interesting that she doesn't like say she doesn't comment on it to the point of, ah, yes, she's embraced her. She knows she knows that Amy is called the Red Queen um, and she doesn't say to herself, ah, yes, Amy has embraced the Red Queen aspect. You know, she doesn't comment on that. She just kind of subtly says, "Uh, well, here she's she's dressed like this and it's this red shaped kind of stained glass brooch, which is very, very ornamental. Yeah, well, and, and I think if any if she's queuing into anything when she's doing this rundown of their outfits, it's that it's that her and Marquis are are dressed in matching villain colored right right <laughs> basically if anything amy has has hewed to like marquis's aesthetic of looking like a badass villain um, yeah which is also not a good sign yeah i mean and I, I i like this just generally because i think victoria has such a hard time with amy that we don't get these kind of in detail e-red carpet specials with <laughs> when it comes to amy right like victoria does this to a lot of other characters um she constantly does it we don't see her do it that often with Amy because it's something that when Victoria looks at Amy, it's usually like very focused on one specific thing, like her face or her eyes or or a part of her that's pissing Victoria off in the moment. We don't get this like up and down look, but she's trapped in this room and she's kind of has to. So um, I think it's cool that we that, that, that yeah, we get to notice this stuff. And, and the reason why Victoria has finally worked up the ability to do this is very specific to the situation they're in. Yeah, and we really do work up to it because she kind of keeps like seeing Amy in the corner of her eye and having like a startled reflex. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then and that like after that happens, I don't know, at, at least once, maybe more than once, she's like, "Okay, this isn't going to get any better." And then she turns and actually looks at her directly. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's, there's moments throughout the chapter where she's like desperately like looking for something, something to look at, and everywhere she looks, there's implications. If she's staring at Miss Militia too too often, she gets worried. If she's staring at her teammates, 
too often, they're going to get worried about her. If she stares at the guards too much, they're going to get angry. Like she, and so like she's just stuck. And it's like the only way I can look that's safe is Amy, which is insane. But yeah, yeah I mean, I think it that helps kind of build up the claustrophobia of the room that they're in. Totally. Um, so this prolonged period in Amy's presence is having some pretty novel negative effects on our girl. So like, like we just said, she's forcing herself to look at Amy and, but, but it's, it's, it's not at all cleansing or liberating that she's making herself do this. It's not a moment of empowerment. It it actually makes her feel like she's doing permanent damage to herself. Yeah. And she explains this into, in very ward appropriate imagery, right? Cause she says, looking at Amy is like looking into the sun, um, once oh. again, taking the concept of the star, but focusing only on the negative aspects of it. It's not bright. It's noxious. It doesn't give life. It destroys Victoria. Um, it's taking the the concept of light and focusing on the negative side of it. Um, and it, that's just been that's just been a through line, you know, throughout our story so far. And I just love that we keep going back to it. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. I I, I mean, I, I, it's, it's weird how I at least have have like danced around ever saying anything with certainty about what wild has been doing with this light imagery and and color imagery but i think that one thing that he is doing is he's having fun frequently inverting the typical associations of things like you just said very often light is not gandalf showing up you know to save everyone with with light it's it's the 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 burning the blinding um the, the 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 confusing the distracting basically everything bad you can think of having to do with light. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of fun, right? I I think, I mean, and we've seen that with some of the other symbols he's used. We talked about it with water, um, as well, this idea that that kind of inverting the meanings of things. Um, and I'm like, like I said, last time we talked about this, like I keep, I keep bringing it up because I, I keep wanting to see where it's going to go. Yeah, me too. Uh, There is a beat that I want to focus on with you for a, a bit here. Um, because, we see as Victoria is giving Amy the up and down kind of uh, inspection, we see we have this moment where she she notices that she's wearing an ankle ankle length skirt and she says ankle length because she'd never liked short skirts or pants that hugged the leg, self-conscious about the shape of her legs, despite the fact that they'd been fine. Even now, past the end of the world, little things held true. And and I love this because one of the delicious complexities of this relationship is this push and pull internally with victoria to see amy as nothing but a monster but then to see the human side of amy and and look i'm not here to defend amy i'm not going to do that it is not our job to sit through this book and go through all the extenuating circumstances and the context around what amy did to victoria um we're not going to talk about what stress did to her we're not going to talk about shard fuckery and all that stuff there's plenty of people doing that already on the subreddit and elsewhere but i don't think that is what this book is about This book is not about what Amy did to Victoria. This book is about living with the consequences of those actions and what both of these characters choose to do next. And with that in mind, I love these little moments, these little bits where Amy is described on a level as still that scared, insecure, unsure girl. Like she's she's the Red Queen, right? She's in this cool Red Queen costume and she's got the 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 stained glass heart shaped brooch on and she's embraced this villainy. But there's little bits and pieces where you go, oh, that's still just Amy there. Right. And and I I love I love that. I love that complexity. And I'm not I'm not like I'm going to go on an Amy rant 
by the end of this episode. Don't you worry. It's like two pages <laughs> long. It's insane. But I, I just I like that the book is willing to to do this. Is willing to to let these things show up as well. And, and to it's not afraid to add complexity to this encounter in in a way that uh, makes you kind of unsteady in, in how you feel about it sometimes. Yeah, uh, sh- sure. I mean, I, I also really appreciate that that this is recognizable as the same Amy that we met in in the beginning of, of Worm, where, uh, I mean, she has all of this power now, but if anything, the power has just exacerbated all of the worst the worst issues that she had in the past and not really given her any strength or or self-assurance or, or anything to make up for it. Um, and yeah, as this conversation goes on, we'll see she's doing, she's doing the same things, right? She's, she's in the same place. In fact, you could draw some parallels between her and Chris in the situation where yep. they're two characters who, um, they kind of have, well, I'm not going to say they have everything they're after because I don't think Amy does have everything she's after, but they're definitely in a better place than they have been according to their own, stated desires but they're like but they're like spiraling mm-hmm. both of them yeah yeah so as victoria is staring at uh amy the text goes into this very interesting series of paragraphs where basically it starts out with victoria re- remembering her third time with dean uh sexually when they had like figured each other out and in 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 victoria's words they made love for the first time and it's this, you know, this beautiful experience for her, very meaningful to her. And then she tells Amy about it, and Amy just kind of cried to let, tried to like crap all over it, and yeah, <laughs> talk about how they weren't really going to make it, and um, they're just kids. And I, I like this line in particular: when he'd been given the unique ability to resolve conflicts by laser punching people with emotion and reading their feelings, I'd been handed the conflict resolution ability of breaking people. Um, which I, I love as a sentence and it's only belatedly that I realize that it has the word breaking in it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's great. And, and so this is all building up toward, toward Victoria, you know, making kind of a, a shift toward Amy, but I, I love kind of the, the build up toward that. Yeah. And I love, once again, it's a window into the Dean Victoria relationship, the thing that we've been talking about for a while now. And, and I think we get an, another big, you know, key uh, of Victoria's side of it. Um, her, her love for Dean was this very unique thing in her life. A thing, a thing so powerful that it became the thing by which she defined love, right? Like the, the, her, the third time, the two of them together and the moments after it became this, this idea, this definition of love to her. And like, it's so, it's so quintessentially teenage. Like I, I, it like reading these sentences brought me back to being a teenager and, and the way you experience these emotions as a kid, when you're like, these are the most powerful things I've ever felt in my entire life. Nothing else will ever compare to it. I'm going to be comparing everything to it forever. Nothing else. And it's just like, I, I, I I just, so I'm fascinated by how relatable this is at times. Yeah, right. And, and I mean, it, it's relatable. And also there's like the fact that we're we're adults and, and just kind of able to to see it as as charming and, and not yeah. entirely accurate, especially right. because this right. is her first and only relationship followed by a lot of weird trauma and, and yeah. isolation. Yeah, I mean, it, it is it is they like 
it, create almost a Romeo and Juliet narrative around it, right? His parents don't love him. My parents don't love me. Um, but but we love each other and we have this pure love and and our powers are immune to each other. We're the only people who are immune to each other's powers. Not the only people, but you get you get what I mean, right? It's like it's this narrative construction that is is very adorable and charming from the perspective of an adult. But the perspective of a teenager, it feels so real. Oh. It feels like the most real true thing ever. And um, Amy's reaction here, not great, not <laughs> great. Um, and we know she has a vested interest in Dean and Victoria not being a thing, right? She has very complicated feelings towards her sister, and that's kind of uh, forcing her hand in ways or, or, or motivating her in, in not exactly pure ways. But yeah, we- sorry, go ahead. Uh, I mean, it's interesting to to consider, you know, I, I don't know. This is not something I've really thought about, so I'm just kind of speaking off the cuff here. But the the idea that how much how much in denial was Amy throughout their you know um, teenagerhood? <laughs> how much or, in or, denial was Amy? Probably mostly, yeah, yeah. Um, but but like the I mean the, the the point of the question being like when Amy is is shitting all over their relationship, is she? Is it from is it from a place of malice or or a place of like just being confused and uncomfortable? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I don't I don't want to assign malice. Like I, I the thing about Amy is I don't think any of her actions have malice attached to them. Yeah, that's probably the wrong word, actually. Um, it, but definitely there, there's a lot of gray area in there. Right. I think. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the, th- the thing about it is that like she's not wrong. Right. Like the idea that like, hey. Uh, you're, you're in high school still and, and Hey, haven't you already broken up three times before? And Victoria's like, yeah, but of course, like it's just, just the way it's the powers and it's the way our powers bounce off each other. And of course we're going to be broken up, but we always find each other again. You know, there's like this language is very like reminiscent of, of, of like teenage romantic poetry. It's like, yeah, yes, yes, we have broken up and yes, but, but we, we get past that and we come together and like, like of course we bounced off each other, but love drew us back in each time. A couple of the romantic illusions were shaken off and romantic realities replaced them. And I just love that. Like romantic realities, like, like that's, it's so teenagery. And I don't say that to demean it. Like that's like from an adult's perspective, it, it, it seems childish, but like, that doesn't mean it's not something that felt real, right? Like, I don't mean to come off as like, no, your your emotions as a teenager aren't real. Uh, they are absolutely 100% real. They feel like the most real things in the world. Um, right. And you just don't, haven't had life experiences yet. Sure. And and I mean, uh, speaking as an adult, adults can also feel extremes of emotion like that. Mm-hmm. But you have a bit more perspective on it because you're like, oh, right. yeah, this has happened to me before a couple times yeah I've, I've felt this before i know what this is i can deal with this yeah yeah maybe i shouldn't turn my whole life inside out because yeah. of this feeling again right right exactly so yeah i mean so it's not it's not that amy was wrong in what she was saying um yes she's motivated impurely and i think that's 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 so funny because like this is a microcosm of amy as a whole right it's like often she's motivated often she wants to do good and and means well but her motivations are always a little corrupt, just a little yeah. bit. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And 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 I agree with you. Like, I I don't think our purpose here is to like, um, deconstruct 
Victoria's love for Dean to the point where it becomes self-parody. It's more like no. we're just recognizing, like, hey, this is really good, like, writing. Like, I, I'm, exactly. I'm, I was actually just fully sucked into her perspective and, and was like, oh, what a, what a beautiful romance. And then, like, <laughs> and then, and then, like, you're able to step back for it and be like, yeah, I mean, that's the way she sees it, and that's, and yeah. that's fine. That's yeah. cool. And and, yeah. I mean, again, it was real to her. Yeah. It was that way to her, which means it was real, right? Like I'm not, I'm not telling, I'm not saying Victoria's relationship with Dean is not real. Of course it yeah. was. It felt real to her. Everything she's saying right now, the, the 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 feelings that she felt, the love that she felt, the strength of those feelings, they were real to her. Um, but that doesn't mean that. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't mean that like this is the most important defining relationship of your life, just right? Because right. of that. So, as we were, as we said, this is all building up toward. Victoria realizing or 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 justifying or, or basically creating this kind of argument in her mind that what what she's feeling now is the mirror to that love that she's thinking about mm-hmm. and, and that she genuinely hates Amy. And it's it's important, right? Like, like the, the text builds this up as this very important shift and deserves to be talked about quite a bit. Yeah, this is the first time she's come out and said it, right? Like she's come out and said, I hate her. Yeah. Um, I think it is because I think it, 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 as much as her feelings toward Amy have been aggressive and angry and, and mistrusting, I think Victoria has always fought to, to stay away from that concept of hatred. Like, I think, you know, we go all the way back to this concept of the warrior monk, right? Like she didn't want to be that person that was driven by that hatred and she didn't want to be that person that, that, that said that and her feelings toward Amy were so complicated because like there's love there still on some level there like she says even leading up to this moment that Amy was one of the people that before this experience with Dean that she said she loved and she knew it was more true than the love she felt for her parents um and so it was complicated and and messy and then she just kind of stumbles into this oh wait this is hatred. This is what this is. And she verbalizes it for the first time and, and accept the reality of that truth. And it, yeah, I, I love it. Yeah. And I'm glad the story. Well, what am I trying to say? I mean, I think it, it hits harder that the story waited, right? The story didn't yeah. start out with her in this place of, I hate her because like, it's almost too easy. It, it would have almost been too easy, right? Like you would have been missing all of this, this conflict and complexity that built up to this point. In fact, you could you could argue that Victoria is the reason that she goes here, the reason why she goes to hate is that she needs something really powerful to use as a kind of emotional shield in this yeah. place. She has nothing else to protect her. And so what she's going to use to protect her right now is I I hate her and that and that that is going to allow me to control my thoughts in this moment in, in a way that because they're because she's just kind of going all over the place she's kind of losing it right now yeah yeah she describes it as a hate that she has that has had painfully clarified for her which is i I love that expression painfully clarified hate it's really great um and and yeah once she admits this clarity and realizes this clarity she does go kind of full tilt into it like the after the first moment where she said i hated her she says it so many more times right like I looked back to Amy, back where I started, back to this girl I hated. She didn't even know, no emotional reading power, no awareness. And then she, and then she kind of starts what is what is a continued beat throughout this chapter, which is like being really pissed off at her because she's smiling, because she's joking, because she's happy, 
right? Like this, like, yeah. how, how can you be that way? How can you be happy right now? How I, I hated her more because she smiled, joked, and maybe forgot I was in the room. Um, and I, 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 I don't think Amy forgot you were in the room. Like, I don't think that's a possibility. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, I don't think Amy's suffering as much as Victoria here, but, but Victoria is clearly taking up like 75% of her attention, even yeah. if she's not actually looking at her. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it, it like we, we'll get to this more when we talk about the smile and specifically what sets her off about that. But there, you know, people do different things when they're dealing with shit. Um, and they have yeah. different emotional reactions where there's a character in the story that smiles when she's not happy that already exists in the story. Um, right. and, and so I do think like, I think we're going to talk a lot about the idea of, uh, point of view bias and narrative bias in, in this part of the story. But I think yeah. one, th- I think as much as we're going to talk about that, one thing is clear is that the second Victoria gets into this mode of, I hate her, then everything, everything goes through that lens, right? Everything yeah. Amy's doing goes through the lens of it's just, it's just adding to my hatred of her. And and that's the thing. Like, I, I don't know if I've said it in these words, but like ha- hating someone is a incredibly toxic, uh, horrible thing to do to your own mind. Yeah. Because it basically, it it's, I mean, it's, it's almost literally poisonous in, in the way that it manages to make uh, everything the worst it could possibly be and and screen off any potential like you seeing a different way of looking at the situation yeah it's it's a it's an ultimately black and white way of seeing the situation and and the person where there's no there's it's very hard to find the road back from that from 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 a real honest to goodness hate yeah i agree yeah you know one more thing i'll say about hate i was kind of skimming for it while we were talking which was mildly distracting, but but I I remembered that some that somewhere in arc fourteen of Worm, when uh when Victoria and Amy see each other again after Amy has semi accidentally uh done the mind whammy on Victoria, but before she's been crawlered, there is this exchange they have where Victoria comes up to the line of saying something like she hates her. And and Amy says something like, oh, don't say that. That's that's too close to love or something like that. I wish I could find the exact quote, mm-hmm. but it's interesting that this has kind of been um, in the context between them this whole time. And and now we're kind of returning to it, actually. Yeah, that's great. I mean, we return to that phrase almost specifically, right? Because that's something Victoria points out is that, mm-hmm. like, I, I'm going towards this hate and it's dangerous because it is very close to love. Um, yeah. It is it is an emotion that is strong and powerful and is is different side of the same coin type of thing. Um, and she yeah. admits that. So, yeah, I think that's a great through line from Worm to here. Like, I, I love that, that these characters, that this, this issue between these characters has been going throughout both these stories. And we'll, we'll talk about that again in a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So now, you know, Chris is in the background continually being over the top antagonistic, even by Chris standards. So just, <laughs> just, just pointing that out, that continues to be the case. Yeah. And I think we'll have a lot more to say about Chris, uh, in the next chapter, but this, I think was the moment for me when that over the top nature of that antagonism really started like sticking out to me to a point where I'm like, Okay, like no one is like this unless they're like compensating for something. 
Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, that, like like we we kind of know Chris. I mean, we we know Chris pretty well. We know that if he's every every he's not missing a single opportunity to be an asshole, and and he's going for like cutting remarks, unnecessarily cutting remarks, like not even just like Haha, it's funny, Haha. it's funny to be an edge lord, um, but he's not trying to be funny. He's just mm-hmm. trying to hurt people, and that and like you said, that's going to continue. Yeah. So Victoria tries to start a conversation about what Miss Militia is doing in order to distract herself from her brooding. And Marquis says that he thinks Miss Militia is attempting the rough equivalent of a filibuster, according to the Sheenian rules of form- formal debates. Um, basically, she's taking the center and then she's not backing down. Yeah, I, I really like this whole interaction because I think one of the, the reason this interaction starts is Victoria is like, desperately looking for a, a method to distract herself from amy at this point like we had this she's looking around she looks at amy and she's like i need a distraction I need a distraction oh uh, yes let's have a debate about this and she kind of dives right into it um and like the convo leads to like more carol marquis antagonism which is always wonderful um where they just like start disagreeing with each other on principle. Like Marquis says it's a filibuster and then carol goes no it's more of a phd defense and then Marcus is like, I agree completely. Yeah. <laughs> Carol is now pissed off because he's just agreeing <laughs> with her. This is like my favorite Carol moment. Like, it's like she just shoots him a look. It's like, no, I said this to specifically disagree with you. You can't just say you agree with me now. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's 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 great. Because um, she she just she hates that she's keeps ending up on his side. Right. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. She yeah. She it. can't stand that. It's it's perfect. And like, I wonder if Marquis like actually agrees or he's just playing the fuck with you type of game, because I think that's one thing we don't see here is presumably for the past couple weeks, they've been in pretty close quarters interacting with each other cons- constantly. Right. So there's this this there was a natural level of antagonism between them that always existed, but now they've been forced to hang out with each other constantly for a little bit. So we're kind of seeing the tail end of that antagonism in a really realistic way, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because everyone is being on, on their best behavior. Everyone is actually doing pretty well, but there's just this simmering resentment under the surface. Yeah. Yeah. So Victoria and Carol then do this extremely cool attempted code talk through like first Victoria is like, uh, yeah, I want to share some more stories <laughs> with where she she kind of wants Carol to like hint at, at what the at what the situation is. And Carol kind of subtly is like, no, that's not going to work. But she instead taps out Morse code for basically escape onto her daughter's shoulder. I mean, you think it's escape, Matt. Mm-hmm. It's just mm-hmm. ESC. It could just be like escrow. She yeah. could be just very worried about the house she purchased just prior to getting injured. Yeah, and like are are you keeping up with those mortgage payments, Vicky? Because we're not, you know, in that dimension right exactly. now. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, did you put the Escalade in the garage? There you so go. The engine block there doesn't freeze during the winter. Have you tried the Shin S Cargo yet? It's delightful. Like yeah. this could be all this stuff. Yeah, I, I'm I'm starting to become really doubtful of my interpretation. Yeah, <laughs> what gets me about this stuff though that, that that I love about this scene in particular is, despite the communication issues between Victoria and her mother, um, where, it, where they clearly like don't understand each other at all, right? Like like as human beings, as mother and daughter, they do not get each other, but as capes, they're like the most in sync people in the world. Because, like, Carol gets what Victoria means immediately. Victoria realizes what Carol is doing with the Morse code 
almost immediately. We've seen Victoria in the past have have communication issues with her team before, specifically Tristan. Right. There was that whole funny thing where Tristan's making arm signals and she's just like, what? Um, (laughs) There's no such issue here. And, And I just think this is fascinating because like if Carol were just like not Vicky's mom, they'd be an awesome combination in cape fighting. They're just like so in sync with each other. Yeah. Um, absolutely. There's just, there's just all that baggage, but yeah, yeah, no, I, I agree. This is great. This is, this is great. Like and the way it's written too, it conveys, it conveys this realistic sense of like, um, try, trying a couple of different ways of, of communicating and, and it not quite working and then, and then settling on one. It's, it's really yeah. cool. Yeah. And I mean, I think to me, it shows Carol's priority in her raising of Victoria was being a good Cape. So they're, relationship as mother and daughter is in shambles but their relationship as teammates on a cape team is excellent and i mean that that makes perfect sense you know i this is just a random thought but but i wonder if like the the concept of the warrior monk isn't something where if victoria actually said it out loud carol would just be like oh yeah that's uh that's also what i'm going for because like it's just (laughs) such a like it's just such a the kind of thing that that is subconsciously, you know, shared. I love um, that. I love that so much. Yeah. I don't know. Just, I wouldn't be surprised if, if Carol was, was cause, cause that's kind of the way Carol behaves too, right? She's, she's a, she's trying to be a badass warrior, but she's trying to control herself. It's both of those are high priorities for her. Yeah, I so. agree. So the group vents about how frustrating it is that Miss Militia is giving her all here and that nobody back home is ever going to hear about it or appreciate it. Instead, they'll continue blaming all parahumans for all the problems caused by the worst of them. Um, Amy then helpfully suggests that she also deserves a ton of credit for (laughs) warping the minds of 150 dangerous parahumans, which so that's that's a whole ginormous can of worms to open in the first place um, as like its own discussion. And it's also a terrible thing to say in this particular gathering of these particular people. It's just so stupid. Oh, my <laughs> God. Like, she's just the dumbest idiot yeah. in the world, like all over the place. And like, <laughs> and I, I, the thing that I like about it is just like all the other situations in which Amy's dumb. Her motivation here is on the surface, a good one. Like her decision to come to Shin, her decision to come here and do these things was to prove that she's better to prove that she was going to help people and not make the same, same mistakes. And, and with that in mind, like it makes sense for at the first available opportunity, you demonstrate exactly how you've done that. Look, look at these 150 people. They're better. Now I used my power and I did that and they're better. Now look how good I am, but she's still not getting it. She's yeah. still like how many times have we had this conversation where we're just like, Amy, how do you not understand why saying that or doing right. that around Victoria would not be a good idea? Yeah. Read the room, buffer <laughs> your statement for a second before you say it, you know, because, again, like that's it's 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 not unambiguously bad that she's used her power to, quote unquote, rehabilitate. Right. And I kind of want to talk. Dangerous pair of humans. I kind of want to talk to you about that after this conversation, because yeah. that's a whole different conversation, and it's very interesting, and it actually made me very conflicted. Um, but it's the dumbest thing to say in this situation, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's like, don't worry, guys. I use my my powers on their brains. Yeah. Vic- yeah re- See re- Victoria. Re- See. Re- remember Capri, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. my god. 
Yeah. So let's let's talk about that a little. Let's talk about actually the just like independent of how stupid Amy is. Um, let's talk about what we maybe the book's trying to say about that decision and specifically because we we had we broached this topic when Carol first brought up the idea and she was just like, sounds great to me. And Ashley argues against this. Ashley says that's not rehabilitation, but the book doesn't really offer a defense to Ashley's side of the argument, right? Like the, the topic moves on before like this argument goes on. Um, but I think having Ashley be the one to say it is like specifically done for like if Victoria said it, if Victoria says that's not re- rehabilitation, I think that has a certain implication. If Ashley says it, I think that has another serious different kind of implication and, and maybe like gives you a window into maybe what the book is trying to say about how it feels about messing with people's brains via powers as rehabilitation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I see it. And I don't think the book is, is trying to actually put forth any particular answer um, as, as to whether or not this is real so much as to force you to ask that question yourself. Um, and, 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 and I found myself very stuck on it actually, mm-hmm. because um, I, and I, and I, I guess maybe I get stuck in a weird place where I'm, I'm actually thinking about the fact that like a, sh- a- Amy's shard is, is a, um, is a, is a malicious genie in, in, in the sense of, you know, the classic, like you, you, you wish for the thing. Like Will Smith. I got you. Like, yeah. Like Will Smith is going to give you the thing, but it's going to give you the thing in a way that, that actually makes everything worse. And so like, it, it, it's similar <laughs> to, it's similar to like, if, um, you know, like like let's say that if 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 a if an actual doctor says like oh yeah um we have a medical thing that that will that will make you recover from your mental illness you're gonna want to know what it is like is it electroshock therapy is it is it um you know some intensive medical treatment is it therapy like like it actually matters what the process that gets you to the end point is what it looks like and why you're better on the other side yeah, of it. Yeah. And um, elective electroshock therapy is a valid treatment sure. for certain mental issues, right? But you have to but you want to know if that's what you're getting into. Sure. And and just saying like uh I'd fix their brain with my power is 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 like a it's like a complete black box and that for some reason is a is a sticking point for me. Yeah, I, I had I hadn't thought of it in quite that lens, but I think you're right. It's like you could you could argue that electroshock therapy and Amy's power are essentially doing the same thing, right? There's something not working in the brain. This is a procedure that makes it work right. But one, we know specifically what that thing is. What what specifically Amy's going to be doing in there to fix that thing is really a lot more nebulous to a point where how can you truly consent to the operation or the procedure without yeah i yeah i i like that i like that lens on it yeah and and, and i guess maybe maybe part of it maybe the crux of it for me is like if you don't really understand the process of your own recovery then maybe that that's one of the things that makes it not really recovery i I don't know i'm also i'm also a person who's never terribly interested in making sure that i know the definition of a word because it's just a word um but 
but it definitely it, it poked at my like intuitions about what recovery means and i thought it was a really interesting rabbit hole to go down right and i mean i mean there i mean there's so many different parallels you can make but i don't think they're all quite this, like you could argue that medication is just changing your brain to make it work right better right like to, it's to fix to fix the the thing that your brain's not doing correctly um yeah yeah that's so 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 to get to use yet another intuition pump if somebody says here we're going to put you on these pills that are going to make your brain work better then you can just say okay let me look at the statistics and see how this has worked on the other 100,000 people that you tried these on <laughs> right whereas with amy it's I'm tempted to say a sample size of one because even the last person she did her work on was their own special case in some way. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, you don't really, you can't really know what you're getting into. Sure. And there's also the, the idea of what we're talking about are trained licensed medical professionals and Amy's True. a traumatized little girl on a foreign planet. Um, and we don't know, we don't know the specifics of how this was negotiated, right? Like mm -hmm. we did, did, did they consent to this? Was That's the incentive <laughs> implicit or not? Right. Yeah. I thought that was really interesting because I, I'm not entirely sure. Like, do we know? We don't know any of the context, really. Right. I, I think it's intentional that we don't. I think Amy is really good at just managing to not mention the things that make her look bad in right. general. Yeah. And so they may have even not been, it may have not even been consensual. I, 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 I don't actually know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, we do, I mean, for... For Hunter, at least, the, the kind of the main the main issue with Amy right now, it seems like it was consensual that 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 was agreed to beforehand. Obviously, not the parts that go wrong were agreed to, but uh, it seems like she didn't just walk up and be like, I'm going to fix you. Um, yeah. yeah. But <laughs> showing up at asylums. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> God, yeah. Anyway, yeah, it's an interesting conversation to have. I agree with you that the book is not going to sit here and be like, this is the definitive answer. This is what I think. I do think that Ashley, a character who uh, has undergone out of any of our characters, maybe the the most rehabilitation, whatever way you want to define that word, saying that the way Amy's doing it isn't real um, is impactful. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I actually kind of want to go on and on about this but I, I think we need to move on but yeah. yeah I agree completely that especially for her she's someone who has reached this holistic place of of recovery through a few a few backslides um a, a, a lot of perspective on herself a lot of time to to think yeah um and and she's reached kind of a new stability point that is that is actually very stable based on based on a lot of a lot of factors a lot of experience and a few mistakes and I think for her, maybe she, she's like, look, if you haven't if you haven't made the mistakes, then how can you even say that you're actually in a stable place now? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I thought, it's fascinating. I, I, it I agree is. that having having actually say that is, is great. So at this point, Victoria now pushes Amy to tell her what she did that made Sheen so alarmed. And here we go. So I think it's really fascinating like what's going on at the level of psychology at this point, because Victoria identifies a bunch of mental gymnastics that she thinks Amy is doing. And personally, I'm inclined to take most of Victoria's cognitions here at face value. She says that Amy is clinging to some particular line of argument or concept, and then she's going to return to this line of argument or concept, even after it stops making sense. And this is kind of her diagnosis of what Amy's doing. Yeah. And I, and I admit that I, I, I went back and forth on this a lot and I've read these chapters f a few times and I'm still 
kind of not completely sure on it. I mean, Wildbo has used point of view bias to remarkable effect in his previous works. We've talked about it a lot. Um, but just because it's employed some places doesn't mean it's going to be employed anywhere, everywhere. And and there are undoubtedly moments throughout this interaction that Victoria's biases are influencing how she is reading things. That is undeniably true. That's just how human beings work. And 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 this is a complex well-drawn character and and so that's how she's going to work as well um but there are moments of this that i think we're not supposed to call into question right i i think you're right that this this her psychological read on amy as like picking this thing and clinging to it um it turns out to be accurate um yeah but I think you're right. there are a few things in here that do stand out to me that question how well Victoria is reading the situation. Right. Like as she's preparing to dive into this argument, she says hate was a harbor a refuge. I could take conflicting feelings and bury them in it. And this is like you, you were just talking about how toxic and terrible hate is. And she's saying here at the beginning of this whole important conversation that I'm living in hate, I'm burying all my shit and I'm I'm safe in my hatred here. And that that's not going to go anywhere good. Right. Like, so, so every, every element, every word of this conversation is seen through that lens of embracing my hatred for the person. Um, and that's not a great place to start. And we see the text kind of reflect how conclusively you said it was black and white and we see how black and white that is. She uses phrases like zero doubt. I had zero doubt. She'd done it in rationalizing things. She had when as she did them to me zero doubt they played in her spiral down and it's not as if those things aren't true right um we see in fact that she does return to that it's handled situation again we see the victoria prediction there was a hundred percent true and i think she's right that amy is spiraling but it just shows that her her lens here even before the conversation starts is absolute it's i'm a hundred percent sure i i have zero doubt i know for a fact um, no matter what she says, I, I have already decided. Right. And and that's troubling on its own. That's that's a troubling place to 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 live. That's a troubling place to have your your refuge. Yeah. I mean, you you, you call it a, a worse place than just being really conflicted and, and upset. Right. Uh, um, uh, you know, we've pointed out how it's kind of an adorable tick that Victoria uses the phrase 100 percent all the time. Mm-hmm. And here she's saying zero doubt. Um, but I don't know if I've actually thought through the implications of, of the fact that you don't, you really only use those phrases that commonly if you are actually prone to black and white thinking. Yeah. Um, cause nothing's ever 100% anything, right? I mean, sometimes, but, but she, she, she uses that, like she likes certainty. She likes for things to be one way. Yeah. Well, it also, I mean, it also is a phrase that used that often. It kind of loses its meaning. Like Mm. I say the word perfect a lot, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? It's like, this is perfect. Like when, when someone gets me something I need at work, I'm like, perfect. Thank you so much. Uh, Obviously it's not perfect, right? Like it's, 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 that's ridiculous, but, and, and maybe, so it could be in that kind of way. Like you use the phrase to almost convince yourself of it. Like I have, like she's using the phrase zero doubt because it is patently untrue, but you can convince yourself of it. Like, I don't actually believe she has zero doubt about some of these things. I think she's filled with doubt about these things. That's the whole issue. But it's so much easier to not have doubt about it. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. I think in this particular case, the fact that the text has her make this prediction, she says she would say it again, that she had it handled. And then she's right. She says it again. Yeah. And it's it, the text is basically saying, like, Victoria makes a prediction. The prediction is true. So Victoria is not, like, full of shit here. Like, it, I mean, it would be a whole different kind of interesting if Amy then never actually came back to that point. Um, <laughs> yeah, but the text, that's true. The text chooses not to do that. And, and therefore, I think the story is telling us yeah, Victoria's got a good read on what's going on with Amy here. Yeah. Also, uh, but it's, it's this is a complete tangent and I'm just coming up with this as I'm going. But like, it's kind of a bullshit prediction just because like she said it's handled six times already. <laughs> like to 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 be like to be Literally. like, yeah, yeah. like my insane psychological uh, in- examination of this person who like it would be like. Scott's going to say perfect again, but before the end of the show, Scott's going to say, I love this. And then uh-huh. when I invariably say it, it's like, nah, I knew it. Yeah. And it's like, well, yeah, that's of course. It's like, that's like, like, so, I mean, it's, it's like, I'm not, I, I I'm not disagreeing with you. I think, uh-huh. I think what the book is trying to do here is say that Victoria, regardless of her bias, uh, does know Amy on a certain level, but I mean, she did say like we in the previous chapters we did have her say it's handled like like four times in a row um so she's like no she's probably gonna say it's handled again yeah well there's definitely layers to what's happening here and i think that it's it's um we would be doing a disservice if we just said um if, if we focus just on like victoria's outward thoughts about what's going on with amy and not about the kind of resonance between that and her fresh decision basically that she hates amy mm-hmm. so they move they move on and, and basically victoria just keeps hammering her on this like she and amy keeps not wanting to tell her yeah and it like she says uh, what is it i asked you don't get to not tell me out with it and amy and it, and it says she hated hearing that which is why i kept going back to it to hammer at that idea she was clinging to as safety if i didn't penetrate that safe ground she could go back to it endlessly and uh love it yeah it's it's it sucks like it it remind it reminds me of like the kinds of kind of like uh pathological traps you get into with people you know really well where you both just fall into this kind of ditch of of poking at each other's weaknesses but mm-hmm. so ultimately amy can't bring herself to confess what she did like she she won't and then chris spills the beans instead which infuriates victoria um, so basically, Amy distorted someone's mind and power, as we talked about. And shortly after that, we learned it was a blonde girl. And and then ever since then, Amy's been coloring outside the lines a bit, which, which is, is a really just, casual way of talking about brain damage. Yeah, it, it's or 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 like who knows what that means? Like it's 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 a it's a phrase that you use to describe a child making mistakes. Literally, a child making an innocent mistake. Yeah. Like it couldn't, it couldn't be better calculated to be like, oh, you know, yeah. Like I can't, I can't think of a less uh, of a more innocuous euphemism. Um, and, and like you said, what she's talking about is like, yeah, I gave a guy gills one time accidentally or, or like, like who knows what it is. We don't know. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, and, and it's fascinating that she's like, she's like, but did you don't understand? I recognized it and I removed myself from the situation. That's why it's taking so long with mom, which is something you predicted perfectly, by the way, is well done. Beautiful. Just want to mm-hmm. give you credit for that. Okay. Um, but that's why, that's why it's taking so long with mom is because I've removed myself from this. And 
there's parts of this argument that you want to go like, yeah, okay, you fucked mm-hmm. up. You realize you fucked up. You removed yourself from the situation. That's healthy. But there's like there's so much more mixed in there, right? There's so much more under the surface of that. And she's doing a very good job at constructing this argument to focus on the parts that just make you go. Yeah. okay. And there's even this moment where I think it's Mark that Mark like she says something and Mark reacts to it and is like not thrilled about it, not proud, but just like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think I think that's something that Amy is very, very good at. And I think we, we're going to spend the rest of the chapter talking about Victoria and talking about her plan and how much it makes me uncomfortable. And I think you as well. But I think one thing we need to be clear of here is this is terrible. What she did yeah. was terrible. What she what she's doing to other people is terrible. Um, there is no doubt in my mind that no matter what the plan needs to be. Amy cannot be allowed to just be like out working on people's brains anymore. Like that, that is a hundred percent clear. Yeah. Um, and I like how the, the, the text kind of creates this, this setup almost where every time Amy opens her mouth, uh, it it makes things worse where like you're, you're, you're like nodding along with the, with the last thing Amy said, we're like, Oh yeah. Okay. That's a, that's a reasonable and proportionate response to (laughs) having recognized you made, you made a mistake. And then like the next thing she says is like, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. You (laughs) hold on. Wait a minute. Things are worse than things are obviously worse than you're letting on. Right. And you're, and you're, you're obviously kind of trying to paper it over and, and Victoria clues into this and, and, in fact, points it out to us, right? But uh, I think it's great how how the text handles that. Yeah, and speaking of our our narrator bias thing, um, I, I think our author here is very conscious of people's tendency to catch on to that these days, um, especially since he used that effect so so much in Taylor. And so, how do you tell your audience, um, okay, no, in this situation, it's not just narrator bias? How do you do that? Well you have other people in the scene react in similar ways to your, your narrator. Right. And that's, yeah. that's what he does here. I stood in this, this long greenhouse staring down its length at my ex sister. And that image was a picture framed by my mom on my right. My dad sitting at the aisle to the left, Marquis and Chris near Amy. None of these people looked like they felt it was handled. And then we go to Sveta, who's not pulling on her ear, who's just looking horrified. Vista is freaking the fuck out and being like, thank God I didn't let you heal my scars. Nobody in this room is buying this. Nobody. Um, yeah. but they're letting Victoria take the lead because it, it, Victoria started it and she is the one who is, is closest to it. But the text makes, makes very clear to me that as, as much bias as Victoria has when it comes to Amy, she is absolutely spiraling. She absolutely does not have this handled. Yeah. Um, and, and you almost wonder if the people who are closer to Amy, who, who kind of know what's going on, aren't like, are they not saying anything because they're in like a she's going to turn them into a jack in the box situation? <laughs> but like, like, do, do they know to be even more scared than Victoria is? Um, that yeah. definitely occurred to me. I, I don't know, though. Yeah, I mean, that's terrifying. But I mean, I I, I mean, I look at some of them as just enablers like there's yeah. like Marquis is an enabler who's proud that he's enabled her. Um, Carol is historically an enabler. Even, I mean, even Mark, I think it's in the next chapter, but Mark has, has lines of defense for Amy as they're, be, as she's, they're being carried away to prison. And it's just like, damn. Yeah. Yeah. 
Is this language of ex sister? Is that is that new in this chapter? Um, I don't. I don't think so. I think that's been used before, but I do okay. think that's. I, I I like it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, now we're to the point where we we now have to focus a bit more on Victoria and, and how we're a little bit leery. So Tex says, are you sure? Sveta asked. I folded my arms, shifting my footing as I leaned back against the window. I exhaled slowly, trying to control my breathing. Yeah. So then she assumes that her team understands and supports her decision to put Amy in prison world. <laughs> right. Like fr- from this, like for example, we talked about it, permanent solutions if we had to. He was in agreement. It was in the cars at the very least. That this about Tristan, yeah, apparently being in in agreement that they that that this was a reasonable solution. This solution that she hasn't actually verbalized, by the way. Yeah, I mean it's interesting, right? Because we have the the teacher code, the teacher. So she says, "I believe you." Like Amy says, "I've got it handled." Victoria says, "Look into my eyes and say it to me." She does. Victoria says, "I believe you," and she's lying. Um, she doesn't believe her at all. Of course, she doesn't yeah. believe her. She never would have believed her. Whether her eyes had twitched or not, she wouldn't have believed her. But in this case, I think she's right. Um, but then she does the sim. She does the sign to her her team, which is basically saying, "I am lying. I do not believe her." But that is a- extrapolated out a thousand degrees. Not only yeah. is it, "I am lying. I do not believe her," but please agree with me. And if you agree with me, you are agreeing with my whole plan. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Like every part of my plan, like my permanent solution plan, which, which the Tristan part is, it's not quite a rewrite of the conversation, but it's as close to a rewrite as the, of the conversation as possible. Like I mentioned that we might need to do a permanent solution. Tristan said he didn't feel comfortable with that. Um, and therefore when I'd make this symbol and do this thing, since he knows I was talking about permanent solution and he's agreeing to me now, it must mean he's okay with me going down this route. Because if he didn't agree with me, if he didn't agree with a permanent solution, he wouldn't have agreed with me here. And it's just like, that's a lot of logical leaps there. Yeah, There's a lot of if statements in (laughs) there. That's a, yeah. If if you agree with my plan that I haven't verbalized, say nothing. Good. (laughs) Great. We're all on the same page. All right. Um, especially like Tristan is a very specific case here too, because we just talked about it on this episode, but their, uh, communication issues have been a problem with them in the past. They have not been in sync with each other in the past. And now she's relying on the sync. And and I mean, we'll learn more about her plan later and it's not something that she's just going to like unilaterally execute on. Right. So it's not like, it's not like any of these people can ever voice their descent to her now that they've agreed to her in this moment. But it just is a good idea of getting into her mindset about this and, and how utterly convinced she is that this is the right path that she's reading into their interactions more than there is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, I agree that it's, I think it's really awesome that the story is established that her and Tristan have a history of not communicating well with nonverbal signals <laughs> <laughs> and and I think we're actually I think we're actually using that here. Yeah, I think like, so too. I mean, we have essentially a whole arc that is built on this conceit of we're gonna say the opposite of what we mean, but with our arms crossed, and assume that everybody understands. And we we like we already know like they work well enough as a team. They they've accomplished yeah. a lot together as a team, but but they're they're not on the same wavelength enough that they can actually reliably do that kind of thing. I agree. And that's uh that's been established, right? So yeah, that that's that's cool. I love that. Yeah. 
so I wanted to draw this out particularly because it's so easy to forget that Amy is this whole other character going through her own thing because we're so we're so in Victoria's perspective. Um, and, and so it, it, it goes, on the condition you see me, I ask my voice hollow. On, I'm not doing that or asking for that for me, Vicky. I want you to feel reassured. I want you to not be afraid anymore. I want you to be okay. I will go to whatever lengths it takes to do that, really. Seeing you would just let me know it's not making things worse. And, like, I, I feel like this is a pretty reasonable and rational, like, thesis statement. If, if Even if you suspect there's some motivated reasoning going on. But Victoria basically decides that, that, like, in response to this, that she'll just lie and she'll say, yeah, this is fine, just to get Amy into their clutches. And and it's interesting because that's a moment where you're a little bit more... There's definitely a, an ebb and flow to being sympathetic to Amy, and, and I feel like this was like the the high water mark of me being like, oh look, she, like she's she she is trying, she's just really dumb. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's I I I'm not. It's not sympathy. I, I think she's really trying. Um, she's just really dumb. Is like that's Amy's thesis statement. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, so let's talk about this plan and why I why I don't know how I feel about this plan. Yeah. So the plan is ostensibly we're going to banish Amy to the prison world. Um, that's what we're going to do. And if I get pushback from the wardens, I'm going to go to the wardens. I'm going to go to the other hero organizations. I'm going to do the due diligence of our system. And if I get pushback, well, we'll arrange a test. It'll be a fair test. She'll have every available resources, resources available to her, but it will be fix Hunter or else. Um, and this is sketchy to me because i mean first of all i went back and read because amy did not say i 100 can fix her she said i'm pretty sure i can fix her that's what she said right and that's what she said that that, that she victoria was convinced was a lie so she hasn't even said 100 yes absolutely the the black and white stuff that victoria likes so much sometimes she has not said that but then there's this weird part here the part that really jumped out to me um is this part where if it came down to laying down the ultimatum and what was at stake, then I couldn't imagine a world where she rallied and performed better, fixed this girl and saved herself. She didn't handle pressure well, which is like acknowledging that the test is not, are you able to fix her? The test is, are you able to fix her under the specific controlled circumstance that we're going to create, acknowledging that just the the existence of the specific controlled circumstance might cause you to fail. Right. And yeah. that it just it feels schemey to me yeah. in a way that makes me very uncomfortable. And again, I think Amy is spiraling. I think Amy needs help. I think Amy needs to be detained Yes, uh, taken away from getting to work on people's brains. Absolutely. But yeah, I, I, you said rigged and I like that. I mean, it is it is. And in the mind of someone who is 100 percent, zero doubt, convinced that the person that they're dealing with needs this has. This is the only consequence. This is the needed consequence. The system being rigged against them doesn't matter. Right. Because. Yeah. Well, they it, so. Like it's, it's like, a, like if you plant a, a gun on a person, you know, for a fact is a murderer, well, that's okay yeah. because they're a murderer. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah and, no, I, I like, I like that comparison a lot because like we've compared Victoria to a cop uh, more than once, obviously. Mm -hmm. 
and and she she does kind of fill that trope um yeah i just the way the way this is written too and i don't maybe it's maybe i'm putting my feelings towards this into the text too much but the language of it just seems schemy to me would there yeah. be pushback probably a lot of this was hinging on my knowledge that amy had been lying about how certain it was if there was pushback maybe a test if she couldn't fix this person she'd altered she was too dangerous if she could i'd back down no you no you wouldn't yeah um We'd have to give her a chance for us, use every resource to get her a stable place for the person's sake and for absolute fairness. Like, it just seems like like over like it's like the the interest in fairness and the interest in like like giving her the maximum possible effort seems like like overconfident in her failure to a degree that it's no longer about the person she hurt anymore and making sure that the person she hurt is as fixed as possible. Right. Yeah. And that's what makes me feel uncomfortable about right. it. Right. I think just to like to zoom back to it to a higher level, um, lest it need be said, I think Victoria is, is a great character. She's an admirable, heroic character. I, I like I see her as being a, a like a, a, a great hero and role model as as a fictional character. Mm-hmm. But also she she has been constructed to have this this aspect of her character pretty much everything related to amy where she will do backflips of motivated reasoning to get amy away from her to to if if possible quote unquote solve the amy problem Hmm. she has tried to smash her before for getting in too close proximity um this this is an area where this otherwise extremely heroic and upright character goes into um, a, a, a self-justifying mode, which is actually quite unlike her. And that's what makes it, that's what makes it interesting. That's what makes it fascinating as a character is that she's, yeah. she's this really moral person who is suffering so much. She's got her, her, her leg in the, in the metaphorical bear trap. Like she's, and, and it, and it's like, it hasn't gotten any better. And she's at the point where she's just, she'll just do anything to, to, to fix it. And yeah, it goes back to this final solution thing, this permanent solution yeah. thing, right? We need permanent solutions. Yeah, um, yeah I, I think you're right. I think, you know, we have a tendency. I think if you take this plan and you remove all the context from it and just look at it objectively, it's a, it's a pretty fair thing. But I think you're right. Yeah. I think you're right that when it comes to the character, it's a change for her. And that's the significance of it. This is not the Victoria that we we know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, well said. Yeah. So, so we want to talk about the smile a bit. Let's talk yeah, about, let's the, talk smile. about the smile because, like, yeah. Victoria. One thing Victoria we talked about earlier. One thing Victoria has latched onto is Amy's smile and how fucking angry it makes her that she's smiling. And like at the end of this interaction, Amy's happy. Why is Amy happy? Because Victoria just told her, "You can come visit me." We, I believe that you believe you have this handled. I believe you. And I'm willing to open a line of dialogue with you, which is everything that Amy wanted. And then Victoria smiles at her and she says, my smile was a lie. And Amy smiles back and Amy's happy. And Victoria's like, I don't know how you could be fucking happy right now. Right. And it's like, well, cause you just, you just, what, you just gave her the thing she wanted. I mean, you're right. lying to her, but you just gave her that stuff. Like you just fake smiled at her. Yeah. 
Right. Maybe she's fake smiling. Yeah. You don't know. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. I just think it's very funny that she latches onto this thing specifically um, yeah. while standing next to the little girl who smiles, uh, you know, when she's not happy um, while lying about while lying with her smile. That just yeah. like that just that she's completely unable to comprehend why Amy would be smiling right now. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's I mean, and that's what I mean about hate being toxic, because right. like h- hate will make you just be like. Uh, fucking Honda Accords. I fucking hate Honda Accords because that guy has a Honda Accord and I fucking hate him. And everybody gets a Honda Accord is a piece of shit. It's like, what? This episode's sponsored by Honda. Yeah, yeah, but like, I mean, exactly. But like, you know what I mean? Like, it, yeah. it's, it, you find, it, like any, you'll just, you'll hook on to anything and it becomes, um, ah, oh, that, you fucking guy and your hair, you know? Um, so, uh, th- that's how I saw it. That's how I saw the the fixation on the smile. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I love this moment when Kenzie says, I can only listen to two things at once. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, you almost pass over it. You're like, wait a second. <laughs> yeah, I missed that on the first read. And then I went, <laughs> it, was, it was great. It's perfect. I, I hope yeah. everyone read that because it's, it's really wonderful. Yeah. So um, then uh, Lewis comes in basically they've wrapped this up anyway lewis comes in and summons them back into the other room speaking of things that we missed how did i miss doc curled up terrifyingly and amy's hair silently snarling at victoria as she as she approaches her and then victoria proceeds to verbally gut punch her i don't know how you missed that matt it's amazing it's like the best image ever like she she gets close enough she like she gets close like willingly closer than she's ever gotten in the story yeah and as she does, she sees this little demon who we love, but Victoria doesn't. Yeah, curled up in her hair. It's it's so horrifying. Yeah, um, <laughs> especially, especially since Victoria makes sure to mention that her curls needed a little more conditioner. <laughs> the curls of her hair needed a little more conditioner. Yeah, it's little just, more. it's just like. The classic Victoria Byrne. Oh my God, I love it so much. Yeah, yeah. It, and, and I think it's great because yeah, I mean, it shows like Dot is this character that we've known for since arc three, I think, right? And she's like this intensely loyal character to Amy. Um, Victoria sees her as nothing but like the monster on her shoulder. Like it's evidence of Amy's, uh, you know, increasing monstrousness that she has like a a, a familiar on her shoulder that's a monster, right? But we know her as this like this little fantasy adventure character uh, right. who found finally found a queen. Right. Um, yeah, no, that, that, that's a great point because because to us, Amy is taking in this poor, unfortunate creature and, and caring for her to Victoria. That's just her little imp. Yeah. It, so, yeah. Yeah, it's great. Uh, so as they go back in, in the other room, uh, Lewis is speaking for Shin and he Apparently, they have all voted to uh, arrest the heroes. Oh, well, it's going to be quite hard to initiate Operation Set Amy up for failure if we're in jail. Yeah, right, right. And that's <laughs> and, and like uh, it, it, you almost get the sense Victoria has been bailed out of having to go through with this uh, terrible and perhaps self-destructive plan that she thought of. I hope so. I hope so. Yeah. So we move on into 14.7. Hey, that took a while. Yeah, sure did. But it was it was I mean, I'm I'm not sad at all because nope. that w- was a great chapter. It was a wonderful chapter. Loved it. So we begin with Chris's reaction, uh, his inappropriate laughter and comments. 
and, and basically, yeah, he 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 is a strong through line in this chapter. Yeah, yeah. I, like we said at the start, as much as this chapter is about the ongoing Victoria and Amy conflict, it is equally as much about Chris. Um, and this opening establishes that for us. And in a way, it comes to show us how these two characters kind of reflect each other in interesting ways. And that's something I want us to kind of circle back to as we get near the end of this chapter is is the the text through Kenzie concludes something about Chris and I want to talk about how that relates to Amy. I mean, the, the text then makes a specific link to Amy in that, but it'd be fun to kind of explore that explore Shin as this place where you don't get better. You go to Shin, you don't get better. <laughs> I like that. So there's a standoff element to the beginning of this chapter as the capes decide if they're going to let this happen. Miss Militia doesn't say anything. She doesn't give any overt signal. So, I mean, presumably this is because the Sheenians will react badly if she has to tell them not to fight back. This is all about posturing and appearances. Mm -hmm. But Victoria does have the presence of mind to say we'll cooperate. And then after she says it, Miss Militia repeats it. Yeah, I, I really like this because up until this moment, our characters have at least felt that Miss Militia was there to guide them and maneuver around the complexities of this different language and this different culture and this different political situation. Um, and then we come to this decisive moment and Miss Militia is silent and we're just like, uh, t t tell us what to do, right. tell us what to do. But she can't. And then the team makes their own call and Victoria makes the right call here. And that's one thing I want to say, as much as we were critical of Victoria and her plan last chapter, one thing that I am continually impressed with by Victoria is as much as she's suffering, as much as she's dealing with this Amy stuff, she does manage to to separate or parse the personal shit she's going through and the responsibility she has as a cape in the moment uh, differently a little bit here. Because like yeah. y you would think and with other characters, a person that's like having a safe harbor in their hatred right now would react very violently to assholes deciding that you need to go to prison and she's able to parse that situation calmly and recognize strategically that hey uh this is not a fight that we should we should fight right now yeah yeah the, i mean it's it's we have seen her in the past become so derailed that she becomes completely non-functioning when she has to deal with amy and here sure. she's actually she snaps back into being quite functional yeah um, and, and successful still really hates amy though Still hates Amy. I mean, it's almost, I mean, that's kind of the unfortunate thing is like the hate, the the decision almost to, to hate her has given her this kind of control over her, her emotions that she didn't have before. Yeah. I mean, we, but, we grip onto the, the coping mechanisms that work. Right. And it's yeah. just, I think it's good that this worked in the meantime because it got her through the situation, but yeah, you keep going back to it is when it gets really unhealthy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's a bit of discussion as to where they'll be sent, and the options are rehabilitative, holding, reconstruction, castigation, devastation. Um, Lewis is arguing for holding, while the new guy, uh, Ian, 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 is arguing for reconstruction. <laughs> oh, fun stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Rain guesses, uh, yeah, it says Rain guessed, break someone down, down, build them up the way you want, instead of just breaking them ah. Ah. Uh, then miss militia mentions uh some possibility like of the specific punishments like being splashed with very hot or or very cold water uh which tristan mentions will make you faint which i didn't know that's very interesting yeah yeah 
Does that mean they've tried it? I guess they have. Like, oh, you're immune to cold. Let's splash a bunch of water yeah. on you and see what happens. See if we faint. Yeah. Uh, so f- fun thought. Um, this, what they're doing here. How how do you think this plays off of what we were talking about with Amy last chapter? So we had Amy. She had 150 people. We what we wanted to do is rebuild them as functioning members of society. Right. Get rid of their bad stuff. Rebuild them new. And then now we have Shin's method, which is a powerless, uh, much more brutal and cruel method of basically doing the same thing. Right. Right. It's it's interesting because Shin's method seems to be uh, like a lot of it seems to be based around the social. Um, but like the, the people of Sheen want to see the suffering, right? Like they, they, right. they want to feel, they want to feel like they got in their licks as, as a society, you know? And, and that's a, it, it's, it's a pretty twisted, um, take on, on what punishment actually is. And, yeah. and is it perhaps saying something about what, what our criminal justice system is actually doing um, effectively because it sure isn't doing anything like reconstruction. Yeah. Um, that's true. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I thought, uh, I think this is really cool. I think that this is yet another really fun, like weird, weird culture um, take on, on the, on criminal justice. Yeah. So yeah. But, but as to whether it's what Amy's doing, maybe, I mean, you could argue that they don't that, that like like Sveta says like so you so you have a front loaded curve favoring rehabilitation, and Miss Militia is quick to say no, <laughs> right? So so it's not it's not rehabilitation in, in the sense that we would prefer. It 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 may be more like brainwashing. I don't know. We we don't really know. Yeah, I mean, like the the, the options here our five options are yeah. uh, terrifying. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely terrifying. So Kinsey is obviously petrified of what's being discussed, but she's terrified in a very Kinsey way. Yeah. Uh, Tristan mentions swapping out so Byron could take the splashing punishment, which made me laugh and think that like Tristan was being a ridiculous coward until I realized that both brothers would be experiencing the punishment either way. So he's not really getting out of anything. Well, yeah, but Byron's got that that uh, that cold immunity. So right, right. It makes more sense for him to be splashed with the hot water. Sure, I, I get it. I'm, <laughs> no, but yeah, I mean, I, it's, it's rational. It's it's t- no, it is rational, but it is like it, it's inescapable too, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I like Kenzie's processing of it, and and in a very Kenzie way, she says the thing I'm most nervous about is I'll have to disconnect from my friends, and that's when we learned that this whole time she's been connected to Darlene and presumably others as well, which I didn't know that the range of that was that far i mean they're in a whole nother world a whole new world yeah um i mean what do shards care about dimensions right true true like yeah. i mean i i guess i guess we knew wasn't chicken little connected for much of their trip together i don't know but but i mean yeah this was a little bit surprising but also it's one of those things where you're like well i'm this is like this is very alarming and everything about kinsey right now is very alarming and mm-hmm. so therefore i'm not surprised yeah yeah i mean i guess like i guess like the my assumption of this range isn't that like darlene can just like connect to anyone in the universe right like they have to be in close proximity when the connection is established and then they can basically go wherever they want is my assumption that's right yeah i think that's right yeah well like i think if i think if kinsey were to disconnect then they wouldn't be able to reconnect right yeah 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 
So Ayan is apparently insisting that the punishments be pretty severe and that Amy and her group provide, uh, sorry, prove their loyalty and willingness to go along with things by overseeing or performing the punishments and then that Amy can heal the prisoners if they're hurt. Um, and basically the, the logic is if we, if we refuse, if she refuses, we're clearly lying in reassuring them either Amy's too dangerous, we're too dangerous, or both. So it's this delightfully like uh, clever trap. In fact, the the members of Breakthrough actually point out like this seems. I think it's actually Ashley who's like this is a little bit too pointed. Is is this teacher? Or maybe it's Sveta. Anyway, yeah, yeah, I like that. Like that, it's so cleverly constructed to just to just screw them over no matter what. That they're like this got to be teacher, right? And yeah. and Miss Malicious is like, nah, this is just kind of how these guys roll. I mean, yeah. the most that they say is that teacher might have been responsible for getting the more sympathetic party out of things um, to where the only the only party that supports them is those damn moderates those damn moderates yeah. good for nothing um, but <laughs> um, I think this is actually like this teacher reference it kind of feels like a throwaway thing but I think it's actually important to kind of recenter ourselves because this arc is kind of fragmented in that we started off with this first couple chapters where we're like all right we're, we're gonna move against teacher it's happening right now we're gonna move against teacher and then it was like well no it's delayed for a couple days now we have to go through this pr thing and now we've jumped into this whole other part where okay we're on shin now and now we're dealing with the victoria amy stuff again and i really feel like this the story of the arc needed something to connect us back to our through line of the, of the overall plot so far so by just throwing this little bit in here what wild Bo's done is said the stuff that you're going through right now is still related to the conflict you've been fighting against uh, the entire time. Yeah. Yes. This is specific to Victoria and specific to Amy and specific to our problems with Shin in general, but this is all at least tangentially connected to the moves that teacher is making. And I think that's an important connection to, to go back into. Yeah. I think that's a good point because when you're reading long form storytelling and you, you are, you are thinking like, Oh, okay, now we're going to fight, um, that guy. Mm -hmm. And then the story swerves. You're like, Oh no, I'm, I don't, I don't want this. I wanted to go fight that guy. And, uh, this, this is kind of allowing us to have our cake and eat it too, actually, because we, we kind of are still in that plot line. We're just going about it in a way that's, that's fresh and surprising and, and not what we expected. Yeah. Yeah. So there's this moment here, Matt, where as they're getting arrested and as she's realizing that it might be Amy that has to put her hands on her to arrest her, she says, the feeling now was of something institutional and wholly unfair, something biased against us that was now dragging us inch by inch towards something ugly. So just so we're clear here, here's what happened. Victoria and her team were lured to Earth Shin under false pretenses. And they're now being imprisoned because the people of Shin are absolutely convinced that they are bad and must be detained. Right? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Isn't Victoria's plan to lure Amy to the warden's headquarters under false pretenses and then imprison her because she's absolutely convinced that Amy is nothing but bad and must be controlled and imprisoned? Uh, I don't know. I don't see the connections. Okay. It seems okay. completely unrelated to me. I don't, I don't say this to defend Amy. 
I don't say this to say that that what Victoria wants to do to Amy is the same as what Shin is doing to them or that what the heroes did or that what the heroes did to deserve this treatment is similar to what Amy has done. I'm not saying that. Don't worry. My Amy rant is coming up here. It's coming soon. But my point is not to point out hypocrisy and say, "Uh, fuck you, Victoria. My point is here to show how the book seems, in my opinion, to be inviting us to draw these parallels, inviting us to seeing how biases inform your actions and lead you to do terrible things. Are Victoria's anti-Amy biases valid? Perhaps. Certainly seems so. But what will they lead her to do? Where will they take her? We look at this and we look at Shin and we say what they're doing to these heroes is wrong unquestionably yeah. wrong because we are from the position of people who who know these people and know that they're they're the good guys but from their perspective this is what they have to do yeah right right it's 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 clearly unjust to us because we know the context and i feel like i don't know we're being asked like you said we're at least being asked to consider that if we knew the full context of amy's situation we would consider victoria's opinions to be unjust mm-hmm not that the book is saying that's definitely the case. I yeah. Think I think, but like you said, we're being asked to draw the comparison. Yeah. So Miss Militia tries to bull her way forward into this into this um, complicated negotiating situation after An has seemingly already won the exchange, and she insists that she she can take the punishment for her capes. Oh, what a fucking hero! I love her. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and An answered. The translator translated, "Your wardens, yes." <laughs> Breakdown. Lewis coughed a word. The translator corrected himself. Breakthrough is not yours. <laughs> I just thought that was great, yeah, especially glad. in context of this chapter. Very glad that Wildbo is having fun with this. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's, he's clearly enjoyed writing that line. I really like that. Uh, my favorite part of this conversation, though, is the badass Miss Militia who gives this beautiful speech that I wish had worked, but it didn't. I am not someone who leads battles against humankind. I am someone who leads battles against monsters and fights to make humanity shine brighter, which is awesome and is a positive connotation of light. Matt, yeah, it's true. It's true. It's interesting. Like, I think when this book finishes, one of the first things I want to do is track these these positive and negative connotations of light and see, you know, how yeah. that trend looks. Right. What the pat what the what the pattern forms. Right. It's gonna form some kind of elaborate geometrical pattern or sure. some shit like yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> um the, so the Red Queen's court takes the heroes into custody. Uh they have to make a show of it too. Uh, I'm sure Mark just feels terribly conflicted about this. Um so even Brandish is forced to participate by basically drawing like one of her, her lightsabers and, and marching the heroes away. Yeah, I, I love the awkwardness of the situation. Everyone on both sides is trapped. No one wants to do this, but they have to. Um, there's no clear friends or enemies in this situation. Well, except for Amy and Victoria. But, you know, besides that, every, no one is happy about this except for Chris, yeah. except for Chris, who casually pushes them as if he doesn't care, who pushes Ashley, who we see is standing just behind Kenzie. So presumably like his shove like knocked Kenzie a little bit, which uh, makes me angry. It, it um, also, I mean, a lot of this seems very pointed at Kenzie. It, yeah. I, I, he's, he seems to be targeting Kenzie with a lot of what he's doing. Yeah. Like there's, there's resentment, perhaps jealousy there. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that whole thing in a second. So before Miss Militia leaves, she tells them that if it really comes down to it, if they're going to be like castigated, whatever that means, <laughs> then they should escape. Uh, but also like be, be good y'all. <laughs> You know, but escape if you need to. Yeah, I, I like this because once again, Miss Melissa has been our guide 
through this whole process. And she is once again here setting the parameters for us. Behave. No matter what, behave. Do not fight. But only to a point. If it becomes necessary, get the fuck out of there. Yeah. And and you can see, like, the thing I love about that is you can see how that would be the worst possible outcome was them having to break out. Like Victoria even starts with the phrase that would mean, and then Miss Militia interrupts her like having to break out would be a failure. It would be a long-term failure, even if it might be necessary. Yeah. 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 So, um, did Vista use her power here to create space between their group and the shoulder and the, the soldiers? Uh, that was my read. So I, I don't know if it was like, like, cause no one notices anything. Right. Yeah. So like, I don't know. She's got some, she's got really cool space tricks now. So like, yeah. I mean, what if like the air between them like went up? Like, so a bullet shot just goes like, just bends, you know, like, I mean, she could do a lot of whole cool stuff that yeah. I, I can't even process. So it's something yeah. that nobody notices, but yeah, she's well, doing something. You, you, Ray, I guess that was, uh, I, it was something I, I, I missed or, or I kind of, I read and then I was like, maybe that'll be explained in a minute. And then, it, and then it wasn't really. So I was just left to be like, okay, well, I think she, she did something like you said, yeah. um, that, that the capes noticed, but the soldiers didn't. I yeah. Think. Yeah. So there's this exchange here where I'm going to focus more on the latter half of it. But basically, Vicky is trying to kind of touch base with Natalie, see if she's holding up. And Natalie's like, you know, I'm, I'm I guess I'm coping. But, you know, it seems like you're in a worse situation. And Vicky's like, that's life as a cape. Even before I had powers, I made myself stay up until I heard my parents come back in. My dad taught me some first aid from pretty early on. I didn't know you stayed up, my dad said. I ignored that addressing Natalie. So <laughs> for some reason, I love this because it's one of the only times that Mark specifically has been confronted directly with what all this Cape family bullshit has cost him. Yeah. Like, like it's kind of been obliquely surrounding him because he's kind of living in like the shattered wasteland of a broken family. But um, also like Victoria saying this to him, I, I feel like actually is, is meaningful be like, yeah, um, you and mom going out to play costume punching games at night uh, was terribly traumatic to your small child daughter and may have layered in some of the things that are going on to this day. Yeah. I mean, it, it kind of like it, it like Mark who is like not necessarily like an actively bad parent, but just like an absent one. Right. Like, I mean, and he was going through his own shit. Like he was depressed for a very long time, but he kind of just like, you kind of just get the feeling that he was just, mentally unaware of anything and yeah. and like just didn't know like never paid attention or was incapable of paying attention or just totally like i, I like it because victoria's relationship with carol has gotten most of the attention in this book for obvious carol asshole reasons but like i i like this window into the focus on his side who who, who is is a um responsible by omission almost that he just mm-hmm. wasn't there he wasn't he wasn't aware enough he wasn't paying enough attention um to what was going on and yeah, yeah. this 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 is a moment of him realizing that on on some degree i feel like he he abdicated a lot of responsibility and a lot of decision making to carol yeah yeah, yeah. and i mean that's the, the, in in my mind that doesn't absolve you of your responsibility it just right. makes you weak but that's my position anyway got him yeah suck it mark that's right She's been waiting this whole book to get in a real 
good mark dig yeah so, carol's gotten plenty of digs where are all our mark digs bring out your mark digs guys yeah let's make the, this is mark week everyone <laughs> so the heroes are taken into a castle fortress into some co-ed showers vicky is surprisingly stolid in the face of having to strip in the same room as amy um i mean i mean it sucks obviously but she doesn't have a meltdown tristan steps in and suggests that amy keep an eye on him and amy is just just remarkably dumb here like this okay so not only does she not just gracefully stay away from victoria without any prompting which she should do but she makes it clear that she is looking at victoria when she's been asked not to by talking about her scars unbefuckingbelievable <laughs> how stupid do you i mean it is the dumbest thing she's ever done in her entire life. <laughs> it is like I like I, I, we haven't even gotten to the worst part of it yet. Um, I, this is pretty terrible, but the, the rant's coming. Because <laughs> uh-huh. like I I was mad here, and then the the bullshit line she gives at the end of the Chris conversation just like I exploded. That was that was that was hitting the detonator on my anger. Um, so I, I wanted to put the rant there because I feel like it it works better there. So let's just yes, let's just keep going through. Yes, better. Everyone can now hear the magma building up in the in the chamber underneath the volcano. I've really okay. built this up and I didn't mean to do it. I'm just so fucking angry that like it's, it's just been built up in my head. So I'm building up for everyone else. That's, that's good. I, I'm looking forward to it. So, yep, now Chris comes into the forefront of the scene by being, like, also remarkably bad. Like, like that was Pinnacle Amy. This is Pinnacle Chris. Yeah. He's been a, kind of typically bad for Chris throughout these two chapters, but here he just goes full bore. He really he's does. Pre- again, he's particularly mean to Kinsey. He, he gets in his digs at Ashley, uh, but it's like there's something driving him here. He, he wants to hurt Kinsey's feelings. Yeah. And, I mean, it's sad to say this is kind of a good sign for Kinsey, but... She puts him in his fucking place. Man, she does. What a surprise. Yeah. So so first she drops that she knows he's lab rat, which is like a slap in the face to him. And then she plunges on from there and gets this like paragraph of what one assumes is just her speaking on a single breath without inhaling um, of just digging into him and ends it with... You're going to be just as alone and even more frustrated because you're never going to be able to take a drug that changes you deep down inside and makes you any less of a pathetic, miserable fuck nugget. Boom. And you're just like, high five, Kenzie. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot to talk about here. I mean, basically this implication that, Chris, you haven't changed. You're never going to change. Um, You're just going to be miserable and alone forever. Um, We've been talking about Kenzie for a while throughout this arc. Like... this this background building nervousness right and and this surprised me because i i i felt like we were building to a moment of serious concern for kenzie and then we have this which is just like a moment of clarity in her that i didn't think was capable that she was capable of right now that just a moment of realization that this that one of the people she she put on this kenzie worship pedestal is actually just an asshole a fuck nugget as she says yeah um and and they need to be told that Somebody in the Discord, I think, said that Kenzie's saying, "I kind of, I kind of don't love you right now." Is basically Kenzie saying, "I fucking hate you right now." Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, I mean, what do you think? What What do you think brought on this realization in her? Just the 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 sharpness of his barbs. 
Well, I think it's been a long time in coming. Like, I, I, I don't, you know, I think she has her own complicated inner life and she's been thinking about her issues. And, and she's actually been somewhat consumed by this idea that, like, I've got this new group of friends. I, I can, I'm actually aware that I am not um, doing very well. I'm speaking in Kenzie's voice right now. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I'm, I, I'm doing a lot of my bad behaviors that I'm not supposed to do and I'm having a hard time controlling it. And I'm terrified that I'm going to push them away. And, and so she's in this place where she's being very introspective, not necessarily successfully controlling herself, but but that doesn't mean she's not being self-aware. And I think one of the things she's capable of being self-aware about is looking at at, at the people who are close to her and, and seeing when maybe they're actually really bad for her. Yeah, I agree. And, and the thing that I like about this, like when I was going through my processing of this is very surprising to me, is that just because uh, Kenzie has made a step in this regard doesn't mean everything else about her remains concerning, right? Like uh, that's like in, in another, in a lesser book, in a lesser drawn character, I would say, Oh, Kenzie's fine now. Look, this is an example of how Kenzie's fine now, but these characters are too complicated for that. Just because she's made progress in being able to see one of these people she's worshiping for the, the terrible person they are does not mean all her problems are suddenly solved. And, and her, her, interaction with the rest of the chicken nuggets um is not uh is not concerning yeah well she she's had um she's had a few breakthroughs as it were like like the Mm -hmm. the moment when monokuro sat her it was this great moment where she was being preyed on in exactly the way that you would think kinsey would be susceptible to uh, above all others and she has the wherewithal and again the self-awareness to to see like oh like this I, I need I need to conquer this, and she does, and it saves her. It literally saves her life. Um, and and here this is, but this is a different thing. So like I feel like Kinsey has like an interlocking framework of issues where she kind of has to to almost play whack a mole. But I don't think it. I don't think that means that it's a game she's going to lose. I think it just means it's going to take her more time and and more like victories, more small victories t- to make her way toward uh, recovery. That's a fantastic way of describing it. I love that. I love that a lot. Yeah. I cool. totally agree. Absolutely. Awesome. Makes me happy too because I'm like, oh yeah, I can see that and I can I can be hopeful about that. Yeah. Yeah. So what what do you think this says about Chris? Right? So we've talked about why why we thought uh uh Kenzie got to this point. Um this this idea we're 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 presenting this idea. This is this is a story that we feel is about recovery. It's about changing for the better, and we have in Chris one of the members of the group, the group who collectively has moved together, generally towards a good place. They have bad moments, but generally so far this group has has changed for the better. And then we have Chris, the guy who uh, chose to leave the group, and not only seems the same. But worse, he, he's he's more barbed. He's more sharp. He's I think you're I think you're spot on that he's jealous of Kenzie, that he that in some level he sees the change in her and he's jealous of it and it, yeah. it angers him. He's, he's trying to undermine it and, and downplay it, act like right. it isn't there. Right. Like he's he's aggressively attacking it like it, it's impossible. It's impossible for you to get better. Kenzie, yeah. Yeah. Because I can't. <laughs> right. I mean, I think that's basically what it is, is, is I think, I think he's, he, he has almost rejected the idea that he can, that he can be happy, that he can recover. Well, and he's not trying. I mean, he's, he, like we talked about so much about, you know, 
communal groups and and the idea of group therapy is like intrinsic to what this book is that's what breakthrough is it is a group therapy session that's been going on for a million and a half words um and he elected to leave that therapy session behind and the book is saying here's the consequences and i think that's fascinating because like how how this relates to other characters i mean specifically how this relates to amy who has done a very similar thing i mean they're both in the same world they both left behind to to chase what they wanted in the way they thought was bet the best way to chase it even though everyone around them was telling them well not everyone around them but the, the people they should be listening to around them was telling them no this is not the way this is not the way you should go about this here's the correct path here's the path we think is best for you um, and they both decided not to, to to take those paths. And here are the consequences. Uh-huh. Um, and those paths are through other people, through yeah. the support and the power of community. Yeah. And, and and I think that you could say that, you know, the contrast is that both Chris and Amy went for something more like personal power. And I might even want to say autonomy mm-hmm. because. Because you think they think they want autonomy, but maybe what they actually need is interdependence. Mm -hmm. That's, that's an interesting angle. Yeah. Yeah. I I like that. (sighs) Yeah. So, um, here we go. So, so, so this, there's this, this great, this great exchange between Kenzie and Chris that we just, that we just recognized. And then she says the saddest thing in the world is people who who don't change, right, or who won't who, change, who 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 refuse to change for the better. Yeah, and then Amy manages to make all this about her. Yeah, she says no. The even worse thing is when the world doesn't let you change. This okay. this motherfucker. Look <laughs> to not uh, to say this immediately after. Not only she. She fucking disrespects Victoria's explicit and clear wish to not be looked at while changing, but then is stupid enough to verbally gawk at her scars while doing so. The, the, to, to sit here and say, the world won't let me change. The crux of Amy, Matt, is that she's a fucking idiot. And she's a fucking idiot in the worst way because she's a fucking idiot who is absolutely convinced that she's not a fucking idiot. And... This all goes back to me. This all goes back to this one moment that sticks out for me only because my mind has completely changed on it. The moment where Amy chooses to go to the birdcage after what she did to Victoria. When I first read that part of Worm, my read on that moment was this is Victoria or this is Amy. Sorry taking responsibility for her actions. I did this. I should be punished for it. I'm going to go to the birdcage because that's where I belong. More time with this character has completely changed my reading on that. Amy going to the birdcage was not accepting responsibility. Amy going to the birdcage was avoiding it. And that is the thing that is true throughout every single one of the interactions in this book. She wants to prove she's better. She wants to prove to Victoria that she's not the person that did those things to her. She wants to make sure Victoria is okay. And she says she's willing to do whatever it takes. Except she's not. That's bullshit. She's not willing to do whatever it takes because time and time again, people tell her what it will take and she ignores them. She doesn't listen. Don't look at me in the shower. 
Don't be in this room. Get out of here. Even Tristan is like, hey, look at me instead. I understand you're in a situation where the government of Shin is making you stare at people to prove that you have power over them. Look at me. Eh, I got a dick. Look at my dick. No. (laughs) She doesn't listen. She just doesn't listen. And like this is this is this is her. You want to make amends for what you did to Victoria? Stay here. Help people. Heal people. Get a handle on your power. Go to therapy. Get help. Nope. I'm going to go to the birdcage. You want to show Victoria that you're better? Stay here. Help the wardens. Help the city. Give Victoria space and deal with your own shit. Nope. I'm going to go to Shin and uh, cure people's brains. Amy's I'm willing to do whatever it takes that she said last chapter is a lie. It's an absolute fundamental lie she is not she's only willing to do whatever it takes as long as the list of whatever it takes are things that she already wants to do and that's not change that's not getting better that's not recovery that is you dictating your own recovery to be most advantageous to you and i think back about rain and that moment where he stood in in that courtroom and said i accept your punishment do whatever you want with me. You want me to go to jail? I'll go to jail. You want me to stay out here and help the way I can? I accept that. Here's what I want to do. I want to stay out here and help, but I will do what you want me to do. And that is something that Amy has never, never done. Never just listened to the people and done what they needed her to do. It's always about been what she needs to do. Yeah. Yeah, it, it always has to be on her own terms. Yep. And and it's it's consistent. You're exactly right. And and she'll even throw around her power like a, as a threat to get what she wants. Um but it's always that's what's frustrating about it is it's always wrapped up in this self-image that she has of being the perpetual victim. Yep. She, she, like it's she's not throwing around her power. She's just I I'm, I'm doing this because you're making me do this. Yep. And that's even more frustrating. Like that's, I think that's the element that drives people crazy about it because at least you can, at least you can like respect somebody who's willing to just be a bold faced liar to get what they want. But this is someone who she's not even lying in the sense that she's, um, you know, saying something she doesn't believe. She actually believes that she's always right. And she's always being, she's always being wronged yeah. by everyone. Yeah. And it's not to say that I don't think that's an understandable situation. I think you said that we've known people kind of like Amy before who just do the dumbest fucking thing in every moment and they just don't get it. They just don't yeah. see it. But like, I'm not going to sit here and listen to her say things like the world won't let me. Ch- Fuck you. The, like, <laughs> come on. No, yeah. no. Like the only like the only person that has has her, all her sights set against you is Victoria. And what has Victoria done to stop you from doing anything? Right. Nothing. Right. She just she just completely completely left you alone and didn't want yeah. to know where you were. All for, she's for done years. all she's done is say, "Leave me alone. Just leave me alone. Just stay away from me." And Victor and, and Amy's like, "Oh, fine, fine. I'll go to another dimension and I'll yeah. fucking I'll fucking rule another dimension and fuck with people's brains. Cause, and it's your fault because you said leave <laughs> me alone. What? What? <laughs> no, you don't get yeah. to say that." Right. I mean, it's I mean, it is it is darkly comic that she's she's based. I mean, she's sort of taken over a, a world and manages to to feel like she's been put upon and forced into the situation. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. And uh, look, I, I don't think this is entirely Amy's fault. I think Amy has, uh, like we said, has surrounded herself with some really class A wonderful enablers in, in uh-huh. Marquis and Carol and to a lesser extent, Mark. Um, I think these are people who are driven by their guilt for the way that they feel like they've wronged her. You know, Carol um, feels very guilty about the fact that she didn't love her. Uh, Marquis feels very guilty about the fact that he, uh, through his choices and through getting arrested, was kind of forced to abandon her. And he feels a lot of guilt over that. And these characters are driven by this guilt to kind of just allow her to do these things and to, to, to maybe not come down on her as hard as they should. Um, and that's dangerous. And, and the thing about, the thing about it is Amy is like she looks at these people as her check, right? Like she even says that it's like, I've got people checking me out. I've got people making sure I'm not going too far. But, but then when you look at these people and it's like, Oh, uh, Chris and, and Marquis are your people that are checking you to make sure you're not going too far with this stuff. Uh, yeah, great. The guy who wants to turn into a monster and your father who will love you no matter what, no matter what you do, I'll love you forever. Right. Even if you continue to turn to break people's brains. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I think in real life, too, like these bull in a china shop personalities like Amy, they they are only going to permit enablers to be around them. So so it's yeah, that's a bit of a chicken and egg thing going on where it's like, do you blame the enablers or do you just recognize the fact that if they weren't enablers, she wouldn't she wouldn't keep them around and she'd find other enablers like that's. This this is where my mind goes down the path of like, yeah, you can you can blame Marquis for certain things. You can blame you can blame Carol for certain things. You could even blame Victoria for certain things. But but like if if we're going to even admit that personal responsibility is a concept, then Amy's definitely responsible for like most of her present situation. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's it's her inability to take that responsibility. And and she thinks she's taking responsibility because but she's dictating the terms of that taken responsibility, like going to going to the birdcage. Right. Like, yeah. it's just this. This has become the crux of the character to me. It's like, look, I went to the birdcage. I'm taking responsibility. And then everyone's like, you threatened to release a plague if we didn't send you there. And we told you, no, we told you don't do that and here's how here's the other ways in which you can take responsibility no i can't do it that way i must be punished yeah Uh, and and like and look it is absolutely true that our our view of this character is is being influenced by the lens of the point of view character in which we have inhabited for the past year and a half 100 percent true like that can't not be true and and there's going to be an amy interlude and i'm going to feel bad for her (laughs) <laughs> and, and, and look, I feel bad for her now. I, I like as much as I am frustrated with her, I feel bad for her because I see her in this cycle that there is no escape from because she has utterly convinced herself that this is the path forward. This is this is her path to recovery. And I think this is it, it's it's actually great because we have two of these characters moving towards recovery and each of them are making their own choices and 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 they are trying to move towards this better place and we're seeing one person making uh different choices than the other and and the successes and failures that are happening at that. And I think that's great. Um, yeah. You know, just to end off the Amy rant section of the podcast with like <laughs> the one thing that I tell myself when I'm feeling angry about Amy's stupidity and I want to kind of ameliorate it is to remind myself that she spent a long time 
refusing to heal Mark's brain because she was like, it's going to be terrible, guys. Mm -hmm. You don't understand. The consequences of me breaking my rule and healing someone's brain are going to be catastrophically terrible. Please listen to me. Please trust me. And her family didn't listen to her, didn't trust her. Bonesaw came in, fucking Bonesaw, and forced her hand at the threat of murdering her father. And then she is forced to do it, and then she does it, and then everything that she said was going to happen happens. So so in a certain sense, she was trying to warn everybody, right? Sure, At least she's sure. self-aware to that degree. Yeah, but not like that's that's the the crisis point, right? Yeah. You have agency after that point. You it's can <laughs> you can choose a different path, and she's not. Yes. She's choosing yes. the same path. Going to Shin is going to the birdcage all over again, and yeah. that's I, and I, I mean you could you, you could argue like, hey, why didn't you just go back to your rule of not influencing brains? You know, because know. yeah, it's not because because I don't, I don't want to. I right. don't want to. Yeah. Um, I can help people this way and I can prove how helpful I am well, to, well, yeah. to Victoria. I, I mean, it, and it takes her from like a healer to someone who can manipulate powers, which is the most broken power in the setting. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, Amy. Yep. So, all right. So they go to the prison. Inside the prison, it's anarchy. There's like parents and kids. There's men and women just all kind of th- thrown together in this big space with armed <laughs> guards on catwalks overhead. And like there doesn't seem to be any special provisions for them being parahumans. There's there's no, you know, ankle bombs or anything. It seems like they could escape if they wanted to. So yeah. This is more of a like the the test is to see are are you gonna be good? Yeah, that's the whole thing, right? Is like this is this is less um less we actually think you're dangerous and more prove to us that you're you're not by yeah. by succumbing to our power. Yeah. So the the team then settles down out of the way and they talk strategy. Kinsey has some of her projection tech, which she's smuggled in along with the oxygen tank, which we mentioned last week. Yeah. Yeah. There's a payoff on that. That's really cool. Yeah. She thinks uh, that'll get her that she can salvage pieces from that to communicate. Yeah. Yeah. Byron's also phased out with his armor on um, and Kinsey says she can probably send some messages back home and various teammates want her to pass along some reassurances back home. That that to me is a moment that kind of seems to indicate that we're going to be here for a little while. Right. Like that we take a moment to say like, and, and I, I know, I know the characters are planning for that. They say a couple days. Right. But it makes me seem like the book is going to maybe spend some time in this prison too. I, I got that feeling from this scene where it's like, Oh, we're, we're setting the, we're setting the chessboard. Yeah, yeah. This is, this is not, uh, this is not a one chapter affair. So, yeah. Uh, so the chapter ends with Victoria saying that Citrine needs to be contacted because they'll need her help. And that's, it's good. Good conclusion. Yeah, uh, <laughs> we'll need some help from above, is what they yeah. say, which has fairly interesting connotations. Yeah, yeah. I, I I tried to to scratch at that. I couldn't I couldn't figure out if there was anything there exactly. But yeah, I I, I like that. Yeah. Um. All right. Let's do some discussion questions, Scott. All right. Let's do it. So, so last week the question was your favorite small background character reaction. Cal Subalu V two mentions the moment when Taylor trolls Emma right after being outed as Skitter. And then alternatively mentions Imp's first appearance uh, in the story uh, and compares it to being like a ninja in Kabuki theater moving around in the background without the point of view really appearing to notice or react appropriately. I thought that was a, a cool comparison. I, mean, I, I didn't know that about Kabuki theater. Yeah, I, I like that a lot. Um, 
I mean, I, I still have very distinct memories of the first imp scene when you're just like, huh? What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then I, I think I actually have seen since then posts on the Reddit where people are just like, who's this imp character? And when was I introduced to them? <laughs> like, yeah. You weren't. That's the thing. Right. Um, LRD uh, says in Sentinel 9.5, Shadowstalker speaks glowingly about Dean and Victoria's relationships. She's mainly trying to hurt Vista, but in doing so, she gives us a sense of behind the scenes love story that we're still seeing shocks waves of 35 arcs later. That's great. I like that response. Yeah. Yeah. And it's good to be reminded of here how long that's been kind of in the story uh, yeah. as an element. Yeah. Stellhex says, you know, we've got this scene with Taylor in the cafeteria cornered doxed and out of ideas taylor realizes that the heroes are still playing it safe when when going against her and she smiles and when he sees the smile clock locker says holy shit it's really her <laughs> um and that they say this tiny snippet doesn't tell us anything new but it reinforces everything including but probably not limited to clock blocker clock blocker and skitter's relationship whatever it is not romantically just how they think about and act toward each other they are enemies but there's a mutual respect there clock appreciates skitter's cleverness skitter appreciated his willingness to talk to her number two without seeing the swarm of insects it's really hard to believe a teenage girl right in front of you could raise anywhere near this much trouble number three just the emotional impact of the smile imagine if wild had, had decided on describing some other reaction defiant continuing to try to convince her it's hopeless or just an uncomfortable silence as everyone wonders what she's got up her sleeve it doesn't really have the same impact and number four taylor is in many ways pretty clueless as to how she's perceived from the outside yeah i like that 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 uh, clockblocker's relationship quote unquote with Taylor uh, is one of the highlights of the book to me. Um, mm -hmm. Just like this, he's kind of just like a guy who is utterly convinced of how terrible she was, like forced to reckon with the reality of, of uh, the, her effectiveness. And yeah. then of course dies horribly because that's, right. that's what you get. Right. Hang and, out and with then, Taylor. You're going to die horribly. And then complains that everyone thought they were dating <laughs> between those two extremes. Right. Right. Uh, next up, we have Sarah Penguin, who says the little girl who waves at Sveta while drinking tea at mistreats. Victoria responds by moving to block her view, hiding violence from her, akin to how capes are continually having to paper over true possibilities of violence with theater. Victoria also does a fashion deconstruction, and she puts that in quotes, of leather-clad cutesy mascots. And Sarah Penguin compares this cutesy BDSM imagery to the mixture of violence and restraint that capes have to employ. Ooh, I like that last part a whole lot. Yeah, it was a really interesting post because Sarah Penguin uh, is pointing out a few different things about this scene that yeah. are basically parallels to the whole cops and robbers theater aspect of Capedom. I thought it was really cool. Not not something I noticed at all, actually, but yeah. I, I think there's something to that. I do like I do like those metaphors, like the the Victoria blocking to respond to her view, hiding violence, like with theater. Yeah, there's there's a lot mm -hmm. to that. There's a lot how how capes interact with humans. Um, yeah, I, I like that a whole lot. Yeah. Vice Versailles says uh, they kind of say that the way Worm danced around topics in general, such as Tattletale balking at, at two mentions of the Seamurg in one conversation, uh, really lets the presence of the Seamurg loom and is escalated even further by the appearance of Leviathan in, you know, how, how could something be worse than this kind of way? Mm -hmm. uh, most of the nine, Greyboy in particular, fall under that particular umbrella as, as well. And Sleeper, of course, but we don't talk about him. No, we're not allowed to talk about Sleeper. No. <laughs> up next we have Kifru 
who mentions when Taylor is going Kepri. A lot of what's happening around her is inscrutable to her, but we can puzzle it out. You can just feel how you've gone from being within the point of view to floating next to the camera, like it's now a third person over the shoulder, and it feels alien. Just a bit wrong, but can't place a finger on it. Yeah, I like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Me for Mars points out the car crash that kicked off Ward is a microcosm for what to expect in, 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 uh, in the story. Um, and a few different things they point out. Victoria's not really part of this situation, but she involves herself. She has no stakes here, but she's going to be a helper, goddammit. Survivors of Gold Morning are not coping well emotionally. Uh, there's a fashion teardown of Shortcut. Uh, Victoria de-escalates the situation, and she does some cape nerding out about Vicari. <laughs> I love and, that. I haven't yeah. gone back and read that first chapter in, in ever. Yeah. Um, so that's great to I, see. I think there's even more than this, actually. And, and Glowworm is also just a, a gold mine. But yeah, it is. It is. Next up, we have Death of the Artist. Is it Arts or Artist? It's Artist. Sorry. Artist. <laughs> the moment where Golem watches Weaver as she reels from just having done a toddler murder. This is doing a lot of work because we're still catching up with Taylor after the time skip. We calibrate who Golem is as a person as well. We have no idea who Theo is and how he thinks after all these years. Seeing his reaction to Taylor is what sells the drastic paradigm shift he thinks after all paradigm shift of Theo's perspective from Taylor's. I lost my place there. Wild Bill uses Taylor's reaction to show us instead of telling us exactly the sort of perspective Theo has and what sort of person he is. It's multitasking worthy of Queen, queen Administrator. I like that a lot. I, I like that too. I, that's, I, I still, we talked for a very long time in Worm about that decision to pull away from Taylor's point of view immediately after that moment. And um, I, I continue to marvel at, at, at just how effective of a choice that was. Yeah. And we spent a long time with Theo. I, I, I forgot until, you know, occasionally I'll go back and, and, and look at that part of the story and remember like, oh yeah, like the whole climactic battle is actually Theo's point of view. Yep. Beard of Valor uh, mentions when Emma was chanting madly to herself while Taylor was trying to talk her way out of jail. <laughs> I remember that. And yeah. she, she's like aware of it, but not fully aware. You know, like Taylor's yeah. like she's aware of it enough to point it out, but like the not the implications of it. Yeah. Beard of Valor kind of went on to, to to talk about how Taylor was like annoyed that Emma was like imposing on her moment almost just by <laughs> being there. Um, and yeah. 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 And lastly, we have March was May, which is a good name, uh, who mentions Kenzie smiling. It's a background thing that Wiley E. Boyote, which is the most creative wild bow name I've seen, has going on from the start of Ward and makes the reader realize they have misinterpreted everything. Yeah, that is a very background thing um, that you almost miss if you're a, a lot of like there's so many instances of her smiling that I probably just totally missed the first time around certainly early on when you're just like oh i guess she's just kind of an awkward kid yeah um, just, yeah eventually as like more and more sinister weirdness builds up you start to read into it but yeah like it i i still like we've said i want to go back and, and reread it um reread the story with that in mind and, and because there's gonna be so much more stuff to notice mm-hmm. all right new discussion question so kinsey in this in this you know in this, these chapters basically posits that Chris has not, cannot, and will not ever change, um, at, at least in the sense that he has decided not to, right? Yeah. Um, so is she, is she right about this, that, 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 he, that he is incapable of change? Um, and how does this compare to other characters such as Kinsey herself? Um, basically, this talk is... Talk to this us is, about change. <laughs> talk to us about change. This is a little bit less of a, 
pointed question than usual. It's more of a prompt to just talk about the nature of characters changing what is required for change to happen. Yeah. We, we've stuff seen, along those lines. I mean, we've seen we've seen many instances in this book now of characters who have changed and characters who have not changed. And we've seen we talked about a little bit ourselves about our interpretations of how that relates to individualism versus community. Um, but I just want other people to explore that a little bit as well. What do you think? What do you think it's saying when rain has successfully changed uh, or, or has he, that could be an interpretation of the question as well, or Kenzie has successfully changed. Ashley has successfully changed. Uh, Chris has not done so. Amy has not done so. And, and what, how do their choices reflect what the book is is ruminating on change you know yeah so we'll just write a whole paragraph to explain all that uh and put that in the show notes yeah and you just give us your one paragraph answer <laughs> yeah. just one sentence all right answer. well that's all we got for you this week on we've got ward you guys are all part of this show now so feel free to provide us with advice questions or thoughts on this week's reading you can reach out to us via email at gotwormpod at gmail.com or over on our twitter account at gotwormpod my personal twitter is at scottdaily85 and matt's is at honda accord honda accord yeah honda accord honda accord you know i own a honda accord everyone do you so 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 do your do your 40 analysis on that I, i thought you had a van i have a van as well you have two cars Yes. Wow. Yeah. Fancy. So if you're not already subscribed to We've Got Ward, we strongly recommend you do so and never miss an episode. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere else in the world you can listen to podcasts. And as always, you can find this and all the other shows we do over at doofmedia.com. That includes Deep Impact, uh, a chapter-by-chapter analysis of Pact by the EDM Media MD guys, Ruben and Elliot. Uh, they're on Arc 7 now. they it's like they're over halfway through the story now, Matt. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, yeah. It, it's really great. I really enjoy the show. I, I usually catch up to it in like spurts of several episodes at a time. I'm not sure why I do that, but that's just, I guess that's just how I like to do it's, it. It's yeah, a lot I love easier that. I love to do that show. when uh, their episodes are only half an hour long, just like that's this true. one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yay. Um, yeah. So if you like our shows and you want to support them, um, please consider donating donating to our Patreon account, patreon.com slash doofmedia. You can donate a dollar a month or whatever else you can afford. Supporting us on Patreon gives you tons of great bonuses like voting in our quarterly fan art contest like we just completed one of, Q&A sessions with Scott and I, access to live streams of, of our recording sessions like this one that's happening right now, and our excellent Discord chat where cool Parahumans fans hang out all day. Uh, special <laughs> thanks to new Bidoofs, Jason P. and Twilight's View at the $1 level and Jesse D. at the $5 level. And also to new Doof Troop members, Michael S., William H., and Eden M., all at the $10 level. Thank you so much, everyone. We really appreciate y'all. And nice. it is it is you who make this all possible. You are all amazing. All of you. I love you all. Yes. And and not, not like, I don't hate you like... Like Amy, I was trying to make a thing. It didn't work. Move on. Yeah, we're good. And as (laughs) always, make sure you go over to Wildbo's Patreon while you're trying to parse Scott's statement. (laughs) Patreon.com slash Wildbo and donate to him as well. This is his world. We're just playing in it. And if you cannot afford to donate right now, that is absolutely okay. You can instead help us out by sharing this podcast with everyone you know and some people you don't. Or you can head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and a review. 
I'm not even going to say it this time, Matt. No. I'm not no. even going to say it. Just move on. Uh, move well, on. well, that's it. <laughs> going to try to pick up the energy again. That's it for this week's show. Next week on the show, we continue with breaking. All by myself without any reviews. All by myself.